Life is good if you don't weaken. Dr. Terry Todd kept it short and sweet on that beginning there. What's going on, guys? This is your host of the greatest show alive, the Battle Axe Podcast. <laughs> it's your host, MDLP, and my co-host, Johnny Banks. What is up, everyone? Thank you again for tuning in. Episode 11. We're still on the air. Amazing. We found a, stu- a studio stupid enough to host us again. Probably because of our sponsorship here, Glen Miranji Whiskey. Please don't, for real, please don't sue us, guys. And Bang Energy Drink. Cheers. Mm. Again. Cheers. Wow. This is for Men's Empowerment. We will get it on there for our butts, I swear. you never seen a taint spread like mine. <laughs> now, um, again, always big up to our family and friends. Uh, BV305, shout out to them. Power X Strength. And of course, the Battle Axe Clan and the Battle Axe Shim. And to our fellow friend producer, JT, who probably gets no love from the last few episodes, <laughs> who helps load us in on our tech shit that we suck at. You'd think, uh, you know, by size, I'd be the nerdy one who knows how to load everything up. <laughs> and he's like, ooh. It's like the behemoth. Dr. JT. <laughs> yeah. um, so last episode, I thought it was really cool hitting all the Q&As and understanding that. And then prior to that, just talking about different aspects of life, mm-hmm. um, going live on topics. This time, we might have a little bit more of a... I think we're just really going to sit down with that current event concept, and I love it. Um, last time we talked about different things going on in the sport. This time we're going to talk, and it's a big reason why I use Terry Todd's um, famous quote that was said by his wife, Jan Todd, during this year's Arnold's. Um, if you don't know who Terry Todd, uh, Terry Todd is and Jan Todd, they're both doctors down in Texas and incredible aspects to the strength community. Terry passed away last year and this was the first Arnold's without him he actually helped put strongman in the Arnold's and get it to where it is today where we're watching live feeds like we're watching sports or even in the CrossFit games where it's done so well and live rather than seeing it three months later on a YouTube video so (laughs) shout out to Terry Todd even though of course for a lot of you guys um, that have already known the strength scene he passed away quite a bit ago but it was a big deal because we saw that first one without him and the legacy he had left behind so again the Arnolds this year, Johnny. Mm, yeah, so the Arnolds happened. I, I think, um, I think, to the athlete and to the everyman, I think the Arnolds is probably the mecca of of strength sports, and you kind of get to see every mix, and you get to see a little bit of everything. So we had a lot of things going on. Um, we'll get into strongman because I think the strongman section is <clears throat> there's a lot to say about it, yeah. but um, we'll, we'll kind of start off with the the animal cage. You know. Oof, yeah, so, so okay, I've been watching the Animal Cage for a long time, and I really like a lot of the stuff that get that happens this year. I mean, I didn't watch too much of the stuff. Again, I'm not super interested in powerlifting lifts. I thought mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. Again, there were some dudes. I really didn't get too many names. I know Jaffe pulled 760-something, I think, without a belt, which is still bananas. Mm-hmm. I know Bama benched a bunch of times. Congratulations to Bama for being the strongest Wilkes in the world ever. Um, so congratulations to that. I couldn't imagine the journey on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the animal cage, I always think it's really, really cool. This year, I feel like they let a lot of people in, which was nice. Like yeah. just people around the cage or people generally into strength. But again, um, I wasn't really into it this year. It just I feel like every year it just starts to get kind of crazy or it's the same thing. Somebody deadlifts 900. Again, I'm super biased and I like the Arnold mm-hmm. stage and the Arnold strongman stage. But um, I think it's still pretty kick-ass that it keeps going and they keep mixing his stuff. Shout out to Higa. I thought he did fucking great on that. Um, and yeah, just in general, I thought it was really cool that they included a bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, I, there was definitely some familiar faces that 
for someone like myself who doesn't know a lot of the names, it was like, oh, I recognize that person from yeah. Instagram. And then you see them hit like what they're calling unofficial PRs. It's crazy, man. Which um, is pretty cool. And, and a lot of those unofficial PRs were, I think, close to world records. Yeah, or even doubling. I know Steffi Cohen It's something ridiculous. Something I think she squatted squat. 495. <laughs> Twice, right? Uh, I, I think it was a single, but... Oh, oh that's like, right. It was once. It was once. It was once. At like 120 yeah. I was kinda like, pounds. I can do it twice. <laughs> but like a single ply. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Stupid TV. Um, but yeah, again, uh, I think that stuff's just really, really cool. But mm. I'm going to focus on... Because I'm biased. I'm going to mm. completely skip the animal cage. Sorry, guys. But this is <laughs> my show. <laughs> but I really want to... I, I thought it was really cool. And one shout out to to a power lifter that I think we all need to pay respects before we shift towards strongman is Ray Williams. So fucking He's wow. He's a bad boy. That dude's bad, man. And it's, I want to bring him up later. Okay. Because we're going to talk later about the experience. Oh man, now I'm getting my distance on the mic. There it is. Wow. <laughs> Listen to you. Me. Oh man, now you can really hear my fucking fat breath. <laughs> <sighs> this is why I stay awake. Okay, so whatever, deal with it. Ray Williams, 1080 squat. Wow. Like literally, I almost dropped my phone. Like I could not believe that a human being without any wraps, without a suit, mm -hmm. single belt, pretty freaking strict no matter what they do, squat a thousand eighty. Now this is and I, I, I know him, but I don't know him that well. He's the one who puts the notches on his belt for the thousand pounds. Yeah, squats, every right? time he does a squat over a thousand pounds, he's he puts I think even in practice. So, which is still I mean still in training, he's still ridiculous. He's squat like decide you're gonna forty put something. Yeah. What? I think it's I don't quote me. Either thirty something or it's close to forty now. And I mean now with a thousand eighty? I mean <laughs> Yo, so I hope my entire day of squats. Yeah, maybe my to total at this point with my broken ass. But <laughs> damn it, I don't want to play anymore. But <laughs> shout out to him. Not only that, because I just I think he has he has a great character. Mm -hmm. Um and he's you know, he's thirty two years old, which makes me feel great about myself being mm -hmm. thirty four, but also the patience of a champion, which we're going to touch base on later, and I'm going to bring that up. And finally, on to my favorite subject, strongman. Record breakers. <laughs> yeah, record breakers. And, of course, the honor of main stage. Every year, I enjoy the records. Um, mm -hmm. I like that they brought that a lot big time now. There's a little bit of something. Arnold's five, six, seven years ago, not too huge on the record breakers. Mm -hmm. um, and now they really included it into everything. Yeah. Um, I know Mateo's shit. That circus done by what was it for three fifteen, <laughs> for twice for two because I mean that's what I could do. Yeah. They they gave him the down command, and he continued to just raise it, and then he fist pumped in the no. other hand. Oh <laughs> yeah. shit! Three fifteen, even with a uh, two hands on a log. I'm like, that's what she said. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. It's so smooth. No, there. I mean, just completely. Yeah, he's he's an incredible presser and, and definitely unilateral presser. I feel like he's a much better dumbbell presser than log presser, but regardless. Um, and then, of course, Leifa, congratulations on your two dumbbell presses. And Christian Rhodes with two 165-pound dumbbell. Leifa's a good buddy of mine, so congratulations to her. And those three women, including Donna Moore, who set the stone record, five stone loads at 325. What's interesting is that last year she set it for two at that weight. Yep. And then Leifa yeah. came and she did three. <sighs> no. This year she did oh, three. Oh, this year she did three. And last yeah. year she did zero. And so they were like, oh, yeah, you know, she just broke the record. No problem. No, that's right. Then you watch Donna do it. Yeah, she was she does pass. three in like the first 
40 seconds. Man, dude, 325, man. <laughs> I've never done Fuck. That. Like, and she did them so good. The energy up there was was bananas. Like, that was hype. Yeah, yeah. And that, that I think that as, a, as an audience member was the best part of it is really connecting to the lifter, the crowd, and the energy, even with the other competitors cheering for each other. You're like, Whoa! Yeah, no, yeah. Everyone gets into it. That's something to say about the strongman community. At least, at least for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, there's some pieces of crap, but that's everywhere. I think for the most part, we get a lot of of good support for each other because, in the long run, you want to beat that person on the best day they ever they ever had. Yeah. You know, like I'll I'll gladly give an opponent my belt if they didn't have it. So when I win, it's like, well, you had all the opportunities to. Mm-hmm. And most people say, oh, I forgot my belt. Like, nah, pal, here's mine. Like, if you want, we'll do it. Add an extra hole if you want, dude. Like, you just don't want to beat somebody when it could have been something you helped in. So when I feel like when people are cheering each other on, besides the community that it is, of course, these are a lot of these people are friends. We're all friends on the long run. Um, you still want to see them do well. Mm-hmm. Because whether win or lose, you want your opponent to have had the best day. Sure. Now, do you think that uh, it's it's a mixed bag? Like, so as you get to the more elite level of lifting, there's more camaraderie because people know what it took to get there. You know what? I had a conversation about that, how like champions all kind of have this sort of respect for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, when like three or four different champions of sport hang out, they have like this air and swagger to them kind of because they know what it takes to be the best in the world. And they have mm-hmm. this, even if it's completely different sports, you know, like boxing and basketball. Yeah. You'll see a lot of bos- boxers hang out with basketball players because it's like, hey, man, you know, I know what it takes, you know. Yeah. So I would say yes. Like when you go to those high level shows, you kind of see the guys that are guys and girls who are kind of on a better level for several reasons. A because they've been around for a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. very few rise to the top and strongman quickly. Yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's hard. If you're a freak, yeah. But for the most part, it takes us a few years of getting out there. You've probably traveled. You've done platinum pluses, nationals. You've been around. You've seen these guys. Mm-hmm. You have to go outside of uh, competing locally, which is an article I wrote recently, um, and. Yeah, it's like you know what it's taken to get here. To get yeah. top five in nationals, you know you've had your cuts and your bruises and mm-hmm. you've put thousands of dollars into the sport and you know it hurts. And it's just kind of like, hey, man, are you good? You need something? Yeah. Also, and I would say, because I know this is how I feel, you know that you've been on the receiving end of a, of a good friend. You know, yeah. you've been the receiving end of somebody giving you their tacky mm-hmm. or their sports tape. Um, and you know that. So yeah. when you're there and you're that guy, now it's your turn to pay it forward. I would hope so. You mm-hmm. know, that attitude that keeps people in the game, it keeps people patient, a sense of honor, like sticking to the sport, being a good person, not being a piece of shit to opponents, that kind of attitude typically is the person that's going to, you know, pay it forward and, and lend it. And that's most of the time, in my opinion, most champions have that attitude yeah. for the most part. Sure, 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 sure. And they, and I guess it's a reflection of them understanding too that people ascending you know, yeah. you know that process too. Yeah, yeah. there was um, <clears throat> the the pros really had some <laughs> some crazy exposition or exhibition that? exhibition of strength. Yeah, yeah. wait, yeah, yeah. Wait, get closer. I feel like Stupid you can't convince anybody with come on, <laughs> come on, guys. <laughs> um, but can't you come yeah. on? Yeah, man. But um, yeah, I thought there was the deadlift. I mean, you mean the hamstring snatcher? Jesus, that's it. That was it. <laughs> Three guys. Oh my God. Bah, bah, bah. And they were all those three guys. So it's kind of like my friend um, Trevor does this. He calls it the strongman draft. 
and you sit there and you kind of draft the guys you think are going to win. And the top five guys had the three guys that I that I that I five of my guys that I picked three of them hamstring tears. I'm oh like, because Corona's going to do great. Yeah, um, Pritchett, barring injury, which is unfortunately Pritchett gets Jerry gets beat up a lot. Because um, I think it's just because he's been around for so long, he's been banged up. And then Brian Shaw. Well, didn't Pritchett like four weeks ago pull like a thousand something in yeah, comp? He's fine. It's just tear that hamstring. Corone, mm. who also a thousand plus puller, yeah, pull, tore his real bad because he quit. Yeah, for and that guy's a tough guy, you know. And then yeah. Shaw tore it immediately. And the I don't think you could see it, but as soon as they showed the replay, because I remember the announcers are watching this live, and then they see. I don't know if they noticed the replay. You can really see. That leg moved because something snapped. Wow! And you, if you watch in slow motion, you can see him just that knee buckles and he falls forward. That's what was I didn't catch because when he fell forward, I'm like, oh, did he just lose his footing? Yeah, no, he popped. You can see. I mean, I've torn my hamstring several times, but you can kind of see. It. And then um, I think the next day he had posted recap of day one, and mm. actually, to his credit. You know, he's like, look, you know, it's just pain. I don't care. I've been through worse. What does that need to do? And that's like a behind the scenes kind of candid shot, you know, just following him through. I'm like, man, I know guys that tweak nothing. And he's like, and he's at at that level. Of course, you know, you want to win. But it came out genuine. Like they caught him a little bit on the, hey, man, whatever it takes. And I thought that was really badass to see. That's what you see a lot of. And credit to any sport. I'm just biased to strong, man. Um but credit to any sport, there's a lot of little things that's happening in the back quietly in the corners. And mm-hmm. that's what makes a sport. That's kind of like when you see those documentaries and it's that camera in the back catching that candidness. You're like, oh, that, yeah. you know, it might not always be the cup and the championship you know, ring and all that shit. But when you watch those guys in the back and people that are beat up to shit and they're going out there and they keep going, like no one says that until it's already said and done. Exactly. You don't know what that guy did. Look, he tore his, everyone thought he was whatever. Oh, no, he fell over. He lost his foot and he's fine because yeah. he didn't like limp around and too bad. And he's the only one who didn't grab it. Yep. He just stood up and he's like, I'm good. Away. Yep, because you don't want to show that shit. And I was like, ah, all right, he's fine. Mm-hmm, he's fine. But you know what's funny is, uh, and, and to, to pull another sport in is, think of um, the uh, Isaiah Thomas video of the playoffs. Wow. Returned his ankle. You're going classic on me. I mean, like limping to the end of the court and still scoring like 30-something points. I mean, champions, man. I mean, I, I look, I mean, I don't want to say anything, but I'm just like, so an example. Yeah, you know, sure. Pritchett and Corone, they probably have more severe mm-hmm. um, tears, but the attitude of a champion like Brian Shaw just, Pritchett stayed in it, though, to his credit, too. That guy's a beast. I don't think that guy knows how to turn it off. Yeah, he's a monster, and he's a cool dude, but you can see that mind of that champion list. Like, there was no other option but to keep going. There wasn't a discussion. It's like, what is it that I need to do, you mm-hmm. know? Because mm-hmm. um, he's tasted the top, sure. Um, so yeah, so I thought that was really cool. I really enjoyed the the strawman this year with the natural stones. How they remade the Husafelt stone from Iceland. So cool. God, man, rogue, man, those fuckers don't get anything wrong, man. They even are really good at making natural stones. Like, what the? I bet their toilet in that fucking place just wipes your ass for you. Everything. I feel like nothing can go wrong, man. This is an industrial toilet. It's just. Is this cleaning me up? Is there um, a TV right here? Like Rogue, if you want to send us one of those toilets. Yeah, or one of your sandbags. Or anything that you do ever, by the way. <laughs> Show the wheel of pain. Let's keep oh that my in God. my fucking front lawn. I don't have a front lawn, I live in an apartment, but whatever. Wow. Dude, the wheel of pain, just looking at it is like you think of 
Like, well, I'm, first of all, of course, Conan the Barbarian, you know? Of course. And I'm like, I don't know how <laughs> eating sand and rice made him look like Arnold, but I, I wish if that was the case, I'd have one of those in my house and just what? quit everything. <laughs> but it, a lot, you know, so a lot of people are asking me, oh, how come it's, it's so difficult? Because the wheels are filled with sand, mm-hmm. so they never catch his momentum. It's not like, you know, when you pull a fire truck, after a while, it picks up its, you know, its momentum mm-hmm. and you're going. Mm-hmm. But this is just a wheel of sand, so the more you push, the better and the I mean the harder it gets because there was, the sand is just rocking back to us. So there's not a moment where you're not working 100. percent There is no okay 184, you know, 56, yeah. 50, 40 all the way down. It makes it super super easy. But 100. percent Let me ask you. I saw I saw that a couple guys took different approaches. So I'm going to tie this into two things because. If you're training for Miami's Baddest right now and you haven't been to the Axe for a session or two, uh-huh. shame on you. Yeah. You see that plug? So many come in this shame episode. That's what she said. Well, you know what? Because uh, there were some really, really great things that you said after we were done training. And one of them is that in some cases, even the way you fall earns you victory. Yes. Right? Right. So, yeah, Martins. Yes. You and see half floor. Right, Martins is, takes the overhand approach and he's pushing, and when he goes down, he goes down forward. Yeah, and, and Thor just forward. collapses down, and it gives it, it that little cost bit. Him. Yep, six inches, Oof. which is huge. <laughs> I mean, can you even really quantify can you, can six you inches? Even, yeah, can, yeah, because it's beyond its limit. <laughs> like, I can't even recognize six inches, three at most. But what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> right, what we're talking about is like the way you fall, obviously metaphorically it works as well um but what we really literally meant was how you fall with an implement matters mm-hmm. you know see martins fell forward and mm-hmm. just that little bit might have knocked that sand to kick it while i think uh Haftor really just collapsed through it and just was out cold on his back and just kind of fell through i have the measurements which is insane man i mean what, what so one of the major i don't know if you saw him put it as a yoke like a yoke stance behind their neck, another one kept it close to their yeah, body. I was curious, how would you approach that? I mean, I think the bigger guy should extend his arms and kind of use his leverage. You know, the taller person, when you try to get in that yoke position, it's really low. I think Brian Shaw tried it for a little bit, and it's hard because you're so tall, you're actually almost going to fall through. Yeah. The shorter guy is almost pushing up and forward. Mm. And you see guys like maybe Martins, I think Belshock might have tried to use it. That's a better leverage, right? Yeah, because you're low. It's almost like pushing a sled. Mm. It's that you have no body weight either. But yeah. when you're 480 or 450 and 430 and you lean into it, I yeah. mean, you're going you're gonna to do well for yourself. But here's, here's your measurements. Uh, three inches. <laughs> At least. It depends on how close you're <laughs> right. to like Three inches, like a hockey puck. <laughs> The angle of the picture. 119.09 for Martins and 119.03. <sighs> I mean, like, that's stupid, man. That's crazy close. It's a, it's Every, a half a step. And, it, and it, it relates to efficiency. And I tell a lot of guys when they do strongman sports, when they're carrying that keg and they're going for distance, it the first breath you take until the last one, literally, matters. If you're not breathing, you're not uh, being efficient. You're not, you're not tight when it matters, and keeping your feet underneath you. Mm. The first five feet will cost you your last five feet for sure, and it could be the five you never had because they're gone now, mm. and that'll cost you first, second. It can cost you a competition, and then when you fall, you know because some people go to they black out, which is fair. If you just fall straight to the ground, yeah. the, the keg itself falls right there. 
Yeah. But if you fall forward, <laughs> which is ugh, it's oh. just a metaphor for fucking life. Take that life. You like that? Uh, it could knock that keg a little bit more for a couple inches, being the difference between everything. I mean, obviously, it's you're not trying to kill yourself, but you're, the no. concept of falling forward is very important. Lunging forward one more go, trying to push forward one more time. And it's, I would say it's a big reason why a lot of strongman athletes, in my opinion, have this larger-than-life attitude. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this about any other sport. I'm sure, I mean, I was a fighter. I would say so, too. Mm-hmm. And I would say it about a lot of competitive sports. It's just that strongman's a little bit different for me, personally. Watching these implements that are not your friend, they don't fit gently into your hands. They're not meant to be thrown or, or sit on your back politely and, and treat you well. It's always this combat with it. And that battle for life and that battle forward it really is well represented in these implements. It's what makes the competition so exciting. You can literally see and literally see this person's spirit. At the last five feet, you see their courage and what they're made of, and you can mm-hmm. almost see the history of their training. You can see whether these people have been pushing and trying and and, and waking up every day and being like, I'm going to fuck this up, and the person that is just, oh, I'm doing this for fun and Mm. This is cute, or I missed a couple sessions, or it's not that big of a deal. Well, it shows. It shows at the end because people will see through you. And it's especially the old school guys. They can just see it, and yeah. the crowd can feel it. Mm-hmm. The crowd can cheer for the people that are genuinely invested and those people that you know don't belong there. And that's very important because these events are so metaphorical to most of our conditions. If you're crazy mm-hmm. enough, and I or crazy or different, if you want to call it whatever it is you want to call it, to do strongman competitively, there's something void or there's some sort of feeling you want to fulfill. It doesn't have to be negative at all. It could be just a desire for more happiness and more mm-hmm. obstacles. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. I yeah. mean, we love it. And that's why we do a sport that literally has such a physical representation. And most people that have done strongman, if they want to get on a philosophical level, will tell you very much the same. This is what life is. This is what we're supposed to do. And I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but that's one of my favorite parts of the sport and why I am obviously a little bit more biased being a strongman athlete and now yourself coming up for one, but it's there. And when you train those sessions with people, you feel it. You're like, this is different. Yeah. 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 It's just different. You know, what's funny is you touched on the being larger than life. And it's, it's interesting to me because at first when you're watching the deadlift and the guys are going through and these guys are Okay, so your high body weights are 400s, right? And that's what, really two or three guys. And then the other seven competitors are 300-pound guys, three, 315, 330 in that range. Everybody on that stage was pulling over 900. Which was the records back then. Like I remember watching Big Z pull 905, and I'm like, whoa. I mean, there's 10 guys who were casually pulling 900. 10 guys. <laughs> Yeah. And and everyone's like, remember the elephant bar is a different monster, and like 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 Belshock, like Belshock I met in Spain, hell of a guy, cool guy, um, and I'm I'm telling you, Johnny, maybe maybe six feet, and big guy, but I'm like he's really so much smaller than the rest, killing it, like really going like when I see stuff like that, I'm like first of all, there's hope. Sec, probably not, but whatever. There's there's also the chances. Just I always root for the start, the smaller guy being yeah, not sure. fucking part of the six foot club. But I think it's amazing to see that now a guy that has there's the sport has changed so much. Yeah, and this one lended itself to a little bit more fitness, 
And I think that I saw a post. A la Miami's Yeah. See, to me, the Arnolds are the Arnolds, though. And the, here's my concept. I think this year wasn't the most Arnoldy. That makes sense. The Arnolds is about who is the strongest person in the world. And that typically involves a more static strength. Mm. And I think that's fair. I know there's strength in movement, but the Arnolds has always been traditionally static. So mm -hmm. circus dumbbell, log press, deadlift, the yoke at most, but it's 20 feet and 1,400 pounds. It's not really, I wouldn't even consider that fitness. So this year, with the Husa Feldstone and the Wheel of Pain, mm -hmm. it lended itself to a little bit more of the smaller game, the smaller guy game. Yeah. You have a, well, Martins, Mateusz, uh, the, new guy, the new guy, Ukulev, I think his name was, from the Ukraine, who's one of the smaller guys, almost won the, the Wheel of Pain and won mm -hmm. the Husa Feldstone. Mm -hmm. So, and I he think was, was he a rookie this year? Yeah, he just won. He was amateur champ last year. and gets, wow. So the amateur heavyweight champ gets to go to the main stage. And, Holy crap, man. I mean, so... Not and then to, you show up. Yeah, and then you show up and you do it. You, and crazy. I mean, the big guys are just getting a little bit wrecked. And the deadlift kind of took them out. But the smaller guy who's not pulling so heavy, maybe, which is funny to say that 850 is not so heavy. Uh, what a loser. Yeah, stupid idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I did, remember we did that for three? 87 yeah. reps. <laughs> Stupids. Arnold. <laughs> I don't know if you saw me. I did Renaissance Festival uh, records. Oh, my God. I grew on my back Aren't forever. you an un, you're a knight now, I think. Pretty much. Like, okay, so you ever seen the movie King Arthur? Yeah. Yeah, like that. Oh. Like, basically a legendary, like, cool king or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Something. like a Robin Hood to turn the yeah, king Yeah, basically yeah. six movies. Uh, talking about my Renaissance drunk. No, I mean, <laughs> not drunkenness. I mean, merry, merriment. Well, I want you to know that I'm going tomorrow for my birthday. Oh, that's right. Happy birthday this and week. Super birthday am, week. Yeah. That's what a spectacular it. week for you. Oh, God. I just, yeah. yeah. Right in the gut. Tomorrow, I am looking to set that drunk record. Wow. And <laughs> probably embarrass everyone with me. Five axes and a shield, pal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to, to get into that, I think one of the biggest things why I promote strongman and why I'm so biased about that is, I don't even call it obviously favoritism, but I think it's important to spread this sport. I think it's important to spread the sport of strongman as well. Besides, I think powerlifting is doing well on its own. Mm -hmm. It's just huge now. It is the, the bodybuilding of the 90s. Um, it's the CrossFit of the early 2000s. It is the thing right now. Obviously, mm -hmm. CrossFit's still pretty huge, but yeah. powerlifting's everywhere. Everything. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're watching Ray Williams on ESPN now, which is badass, so cool. you know? Um, so I think it's important to open the eyes of the sport of strongman and the sport of strength in general. And again, it's one of our, our, one of my biggest pleasures to host a competition for that reason. Of course, this is not only, but a general plug, but I get asked a lot, like Mike, why, why even do that competition? Why do you do it? Yeah, sure. And it's for that reason, because I mean, you don't really see strongman just anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe now, you know? What do we have in Florida? Maybe four or five comps a, a year, and they're all spread all over the state. Which is crazy because I think Florida has some of the best literally strongmen yeah. anywhere. Literally. Richie Yu, shout out to Richie, who got second place. He trains at Iron House in Orlando. Mm -hmm. Second place at the 175 on her second in the world because Arnold's, to me, is still worlds. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. There's so many worlds now. World everything. It's yeah. like strongest the world, uh, world strongest, all this crap. But I think Ralph got sixth. Ralph yeah. got our GMA. Ralph, yeah, shout out to him, sixth, bro, <sighs> sixth. Man. The Arnold, and he had a bad look. He had a bad games, the strongman games, and he came and crushed the Arnold. Yeah, which is a sign of a good competitor, a good lifter too. Sure. 
Yeah, let me ask you a question, and I know this is a little bit off of what we planned, but Ooh. what? Why doesn't Worlds take more notes from the Arnold? Because the Arnold feels so much more accessible, and Worlds is like you read about it, and then you gotta wait, and then it's like, oh well, I already know the results. Politics, man. It's just politics. Like, who what? owns World's Strongest Man is a different system. Yeah. And they don't want to show it at once. Like, it, it should be shown the way the CrossFit games are shown. Yeah. Live. Like, they did the Arnold's. Yeah. Yes, with the backstories and, wow, something called producing. I'm pretty sure I know a little thing about two by producing. I don't produce this show, but I can do it mm-hmm. if I wanted to. I mean, like, it's <laughs> just, just a choice. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just because I'm busy. Also, JT does a really good job. Yeah, he does stuff. way better. <sighs> so much better than me. But... It's politics. I talked to yeah. a couple of people up there. I'm like, are those two not associated with each no, other? No, the Arnold's associ- like Arnold's is the Arnold's, and then World's Strongest Man is his own thing. Yeah. Um. Again, the the Strongman Games is its own thing. Uh, world's Strongest Man, and then Strongest in the World, and there's Worlds for one uh two one oh five kilo in in Europe, but there's also one here in the states. It's it's all over. Look, World's Strongest Woman, Strongest Woman in the World, and then Worlds at the Arnold's. Those are three. You know, so it starts to get pretty crazy. Yeah. Um. But for the most part. Yeah, I don't, it's all politics. It's like any other sport, man. You That's get a lot of it. division in one yeah. sport, I mean, though. It's, it is in the sense of production. Um, yeah. As far as like federations, Arnold's will be just accept the best in the world, which is pretty cool. It's at the pro level. Yeah. At the amateur level, too, you've had to have had one certain competitions to get there in the amateur as well. You have to be invited, right? Correct. You have to either win a competition that's an Arnold invite or place a certain place in the Nationals. Mm. So it, it's it's a pretty, pretty str- as far as who's representing the USA. Sure. And in Europe and stuff, they have their own, you know, feeding there's tubes a as Euro- far as comps. There's an Arnold's Europe, yeah? Yeah, there's one in, Arnold's Europe is in Spain. There's um, Asia, wow, Africa, really? and Australia. And then obviously, I don't think there's, oh yeah, there's South America. Every continent has one now. Wow. That's right. Brazil, it's in Brazil. And then South Africa, it's in Spain. Oh, the one in Asia is, I think, in China. Australia, obviously, and then Columbus. Yeah. And and do each of those have all of the same sports there, or is it... Well, so each one, good question. So each one, the main one is Columbus. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Like, that's the, the, yeah. the big hitter. That one you have to qualify for. Yeah. And now what they do, they used to have, it was kind of like an old boy system, kind of invite, win some, he's good. Mm. But now you have to place at another Arnold's competition. Oh, shit. So, actually, I'm pretty sure CrossFit took kind of this concept where you have six comps in the world, you mm. know, throughout the year. So, it makes all of them travel for the Arnold's. They either take first place or second place. And then they go. And then they'll have some, you know, like the one in California. They had one that's like a qualifier yeah. to get the last few guys. But now it forces them to kind of go into, go to Brazil, go to South Africa to qualify. Oh yeah, and then I think of course traveling like, yeah. to compete, which I think you blogged about. Well, isn't that weird? Oh, we'll get out of this fucking town and compete, <sighs> you bastards! But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's so again one of the, like what we were saying before, um, in why we host this competition is, it's really to spread that concept, man, and and obviously hosting a show and what it means and all that goodness is it's difficult, man. Somebody asked me during my seminar, they're like, "Well, how much does it cost?" I'm like, "Well." I don't know. Maybe it really depends on the quality of show you want to put on, but also you're never going to get more than you than you've put in. Like it's really it's really hard because mm. you can't, you're not really getting paid if you were to put all the hours you're doing. Yeah, you're not it's getting not profitable. paid much. Yeah, you're just doing it because you really like it. Now, don't get me wrong. You, you make money. There's a lot of things to buy and sell, uh, not sell, but buy and invest in. Where you're like, I hope I get my money back on this. Mm. Um, shirts alone, 
I mean, I have 80 competitors. Just buying all their shirts shirts is going to cost me over a grand. Wow. Just buying the shirts that, you know, they've helped pay for, but it's like, fuck. Yeah. You know, and then trophies and all that stuff. So sure. next time, I always say this, every fucking competition, next time you go to a powerlifting meet or you go to a strongman competition that's decently run, give these people some thanks, man. Yeah. You know, hey, thank you. You know, because it's, it's really not for the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're running this badass show, you're getting wrecked. Yeah. And then you have to deal with people's shit and staying after and staying late and begging for sponsors and all this stuff. It's, it's shit. Man. And and now, yep, the largest strongman competition. Wow, yeah, I know. We totally actually last episode we said we were at sixty three. I think I heard it today on the car right here, and now we are at eighty. We completely sold out. Some people have dropped out, um, but there's a waiting list. So in six weeks, Miami's baddest man sold out, mm-hmm. and last year. I didn't sell out. I had 58. I was going to cap it at 75 last year, thinking I'd make 75. And this year, at 80 in six weeks, just I'm like, holy shit, I sold out. So there's 20 novice men, and I think eight novice females. So 28 novice. Yeah. Which is fair. That's a lot. That means 52 of those people. I did the math. Amazing. (sighs) Crushed it, too. Yes. Super fast. Was that kilos? Shit. Uh, 52 kilos of people (laughs) um, are opened. Yeah. Which is another crazy. I think we have like 28 women. So just to kind of like, that was something that we had talked about last week briefly about Miami's baddest man and putting this on and important to bring the strength scene into Miami, man. Like yeah. I was, I knew Miami was mainly known for its bodybuilding and of course aesthetic sports originally. Yeah, sure. Then it was obviously a huge fitness fad and everybody was in it. And then CrossFit blew up. And that was cool because CrossFit did bring a lot of options to us. But mm-hmm. I was like, man, we got to be known for more than that. Like, they started building some strength. And there was yeah. a couple of other powerlifting gyms around. And then when I started making Strongman and doing this stuff. So now, you know, you have meets running here in Miami. Um, mm-hmm. You have powerlifting meets and then come down here. You have Strongman competitions. Like, there's a powerlifting gym everywhere. Before, it was like one in the whole city. Yeah. So it's pretty it's pretty amazing to see that evolution of strength going forward sure. and where it's at now it's it's like look at me it's like you come down like yeah i was in uh, north miami found the powerlifting gym i'm like Are you f- what yeah like when i started there was one it was idol maker in west kendall that's it there was powerlifting was like nah man you can't do that yeah when i text you about jacksonville the other day you're like uh let me oh, go to my notes yes. i don't know <laughs> let me see somebody that i know somebody who does strongman up there i'm right. not sure yeah <laughs> clayton does it but clayton trains out of there in his own in his own garage like yeah. i think there's one over there but you go to Miami and it's like, well, only one strongman gym. It's a battle action. But <laughs> everywhere else, there's strength gyms everywhere. That's yeah. pretty amazing to see that evolution of strength coming into a sport, especially Miami that's been so aesthetic. Yeah. So that's pretty badass. It's definitely the the look at me part of the state. Right. No. Because you go to Davey and it's... Yeah, well... <laughs> yeah. Ding. Well, you don't you don't have fun. I'm like, no, no, sir, <laughs> no, sir. I don't like it. No, you ever ride a Bronco, boy? <laughs> like, is this code? I'm yeah. like, I don't know what this so means. So let there. me ask you then, um, if if I'm a new, let's say I'm a new gym owner, I'm three years in. I'm thinking, I'm looking at yours. I've been to your event. I'm like, you know what? I want to do something like you. What are the what are the f- top three things, top three pieces of advice you would give me to start my own competition? That's a great question. Um, number one, keep it simple. Occam's razor. I would say that about most everything, actually, is one of my 
favorite answers. And it's kind of a a gimme, but I think a lot of first-time competition guys or promoters go really big fast. They want to have the coolest implements, and they want to have mm. the most expensive sponsorships, and they want the highest, newest DJ. Well, the first one is really the best, most important thing to remember. It's not so much how it looks, it's how it runs. Yes. That's what you want. You want fair judging. You want cool events that are normal and fair. Yeah. And that doesn't cost anything. Now, everything else, you start to forget that everything has a cost. So if it's simple, <coughs> but it's, it's your first year, you don't know how to run a multi-lane co- competition. You're not trying to have like a yoke sled anchor and it's getting crazy because running that in the logistics is difficult. So keep it simple. Keep a, simple events. Um, and I think that's that's excellent. Second thing is make sure that you work, you have a team. You cannot do this on your own. It's, you can, but it's very, very hard. Mm-hmm. You know, have somebody that can help you move, that can help you load, somebody that's going to be there early. And I mean, by somebody, I mean five to 10 guys that are going to work all day. Nobody wants to help you out. So do it's it. like moving. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Find the guy with the truck and load it up and then, and then come help. So uh, maybe offer pizza at the end. <laughs> that's how you get me. Yes. And pizzas and monsters. I mean, bangs. I mean, <laughs> bangs, bangs, energy, bangs, energy. Um, so and lastly, you got to love it. And I, I need to emphasize this hosting a competition because you think it's profitable or cool is, is a problem. Mm. You won't last, you won't put on a good show and you'll hate it. Make sure that what you're doing is because you really, really love it. And you actually love the sport. You care about the sport. I can't tell you many times people have come up to me. They're like, who I don't even know have a strawman competition under their belt at all. And want to host a strong Yeah, they like it on TV or they've been to one that like, I want to do this because they think, oh, how cool is this? And I can make some money. I'm like, well, you're probably going to pick shitty events. You're not going to be super involved. You're not going to break your back for it because you don't really care. You're just kind of half-assing it. So make sure you actually really, really love that because Mm -hmm. it'll show. Just like somebody who owns a business and loves what they do, it shows. It shows on their their policies. It shows on their character and their employees. Mm -hmm. You run a show with love and respect for it. Everyone wants to be that. Everyone wants to be a part of that. Everyone wants to work for you. Um, Everyone wants to stay late. And I'm going to say my best man is like that because I fucking love strongman. I love strength sports. I love it. That's what I've dedicated my life to. I've sacrificed parts of my personal life for it. And it shows. It shows in the staff. They actually... So, you know when I say get somebody to help you, well, they need to love it too. Mm-hmm. They need to believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I would say this about any business because putting on a show is like, it's like pitching an idea. Mm-hmm. It's like inventing something. Sure. There was nothing there. There was just a parking lot, and you made something. You made the calls. You had the people come. You had trophies. You you sold an idea. You made money and profit, and you expand. You ex- expect to do this every year. Mm-hmm. You invented something in a sense. Well, if the people working for you don't believe in it. It's bad product, it's bad business, and it's a bad quote-unquote sell. Yeah. So if you're working with the staff, you know, hey, man, be here at 445. Keep an eye on those people that show up at 430. Those are the ones you want to call next year. Yeah. The ones who are sweating their ass off because they work harder than anyone there, loading plates, mm-hmm. carrying, double-checking, asking if you need anything. Happy. One of the biggest things we talk about when I'm doing this competition to my staff, I'm like, you motherfuckers. I'm like, you better be in a good mood. Be out there. Be proud. You're part of something. We're raising money for charity. We are part of a movement. Mm-hmm. Be happy. Don't badmouth. If somebody's upset, be there for them. If somebody falls, you help them up. But 
you gotta be you gotta, that comes from love and respect to the sport if you've never been a competitor you may never know what it feels like to have a shitty staff i've had some competitions where it sucks nationals mostly where you just have no fucking warm-up yeah and these people are just loading plates and that's it's tough yeah um so that was what i would say those three is keep it simple find good people or you know you can't do it alone and lastly really love it like okay. people kind of look at me sometimes with that how much is it going to cost i'm like does it matter yeah sure let me ask you this so to kind of piggyback off of the things that you just said so um you don't have a gym that's however many people that all do strongman so what percentage of that is people who just really believe in you and love you and are like you matter that much or that gym or how that gym's represented matters so much to them yeah. that they show up and do it that way. Well, that's, that's very sweet of you to say. Um, I would say mostly that it's partly, I would say in some sort of humbled blushing way, but I hope it's, it's somewhat so, me in the so sense red. that, yeah, fuck, ugh, I hate when you say shit like this, John. <laughs> I would, I would I hope somewhat that it's a respect for me mm-hmm. or a healthy fear of me, but in a sense, but mostly respect for what we've become as a culture and as, as a, as a community. Yeah. Um, I know people that have not experienced the battle axe gym. Maybe you belong to something like this yourselves. You have a, a family at your gym. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a community you feel kin to, you feel close to. Yeah. And it's because you've, you know, that blood, sweat, tears together concept. So, at first, um, yeah, there was, a, there was a close group that was very loyal to me and the gym and what we stood for. And over the years, there was people that never participated in it. And I, so I thank those people as much as those people that year one were there at 5 a.m. Yeah. And what they really believe in is the love of the sport. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that's what they're seeing from me, you know, not necessarily f- uh, me personally or for me, but they see that the love of the sport is almost like that tangible string between something you're like wow you know that is such a a tie to that that i want to feel that i want to experience that respect and love for something hopefully it's more that than me because i'm I'm fading but that that idea is not that idea is legacy that that thing there you know and yeah as a coach as a promoter as a lover of sport that's what you hope people tie on to you know and i've been trying my best because whatever i have a big personality but to distance myself from like i am not the battle likes me anymore it's us we yeah. you know so now you're four i think it's more that it's more of a community standing up for something they believe in yeah that's it's a, it's a big deal and that's why they want to do that sure. and i think you see the best shows best teams best competitions and best competitors emerge from that maybe not literally best in the sense of they won but those are the kind of guys that you want to see at a show Sure. Those are the girls you want to see get records. Those are the people that you're like, here's my belt. If you need chalk, thank you. Those those cultures breed those people. I got and you. they make the difference at shows. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> How much of your prep time is done when you're preparing for a show? How much of it is spent on counting on things to fail? Um, good question. Less now. Less now. You're because wh- you have more people? Because I've just ex- more experience. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, here's an example. You do your first events, right? Mm-hmm. So to let's just relate it to strength. You know, first time you squat, first time you do a medley, you're more prepared for things to go bad. Your feet, your knees, your hips, your back, your hands, all off. As you get better, less of that matters because you trust your hands. Okay. You trust your feet. 
Yeah. You trust your knees. You just have like a bad hip. That's kind of how year one was. I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. None of us knew we were here. I mean, I had been, I had loaded, helped run shows and loaded plates, but I don't know the logistics. I didn't know. None of my freaking guys knew that. They didn't know anything weighed. It was all like right there, but there was trust for them, of course, but sure. more like we're going to fuck this up. You know, you just never know. You want to stay positive, but let's be realistic. You're planning more for failing things and how to overcome these than saying everything's going to go right. Only one thing's going to go bad. Mm. Now, four years later, it's like, hmm, if 99 things go wrong, a thousand things are going right. Because my perspective is that big. There is a thousand things going on. Yeah. But even at 99, it's insignificant. Yeah. It can't stop the, the coils from turning, the gears from turning. It is going. And I'm like, meh, those little things. Like, I trust now my staff that's been with me for four years mm-hmm. and my lifters that by the time it gets to me, it's funneled down from 99 to two. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I can handle these two. Yeah, yeah, Year yeah. one, all thousand <laughs> at me. No one knew, you know, like, where's the sandbag? I'm like, there. Where's the mic? Where's the music? Here's the chuck. You know, now I'm like, yeah. Eh, I'm gonna take a walk. I'm gonna take a break here, Alan. Have the mic. I'm gonna go walk around, have a beer. You told yeah. me that year one. I was like, you're crazy. Wow. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. Let's just say that I I do decide to do my first event in Love It, and let's just say that I'm extremely lucky, and I'm looking at forty people ready to sign up. Ooh. Do I cap it? Do I cap it at twenty? Well, here, let's keep it simple. Yeah. You know, if you if it's your first show, you don't know you you know you don't know. Yeah. Um, you don't know what's going to happen with 20. So year one, I wanted to cap it around 35. And I thought that was a big deal. And we got to 28, which was at the time a big deal. Um, but I knew I was young in the sport of, of promoting, not only young in the sport, but promoting the competitions. So I get it. Once you get to a certain level, again, the more trust you have for your staff, the more experience, the more gambling you can take. Yeah, okay. It's like sports, you know, like first you learn the strict then you learn this crazy split jerk, but trust yourself first, and then you start to gamble with shit. You yeah. know? That's kind of how when you run a show or anything, but definitely sure. in a show. Now we kept it at 80, which is I'm like, eh, I could do 100, but I'm like, damn, my quality goes down. Yeah, sure. Then 99 turns to 500, and now I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know, that's not cool. Yeah. 500. Yeah. Oh, man. Man, I'm glad Brian G. I know, they're doing Cheers great for us. whiskey, man. boy. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, man. So that's kind of like... I mean, again, look, uh, like I said, it's a little hint for something we're going to talk about in the future, but bringing Eddie Cohen down. Mm. And we spoke on the phone for those of you guys that don't know, by the time you hear this podcast, I always think these things are live, but they're not. In my heart, they're live. <laughs> by the time you hear this podcast, you're already seen that we had posted bringing Eddie Cohen down. I'll keep it brief because it's something we're going to talk about in a future episode about what that means um, mm-hmm. to the state and the sport and, and business. But that's part of that is reaching out. Because now you're at that point where I'm actually talking to Eddie Cohen. Let me like ask you, you like send bullshit. that message and how do you, like what happens? Oh, dude, so the story goes, really, so it's really easy in the sense of I saw him post something and then I'm like, okay, I'm fangirling. Like, he's like, yo, what are your ideas? And to just send us a message or comment. Mm. And I sent him the DM like, hey, by the way, um, you can say I slipped Eddie Cohen the DM. Wow. Wow. Um, I would love to have you down in my end. And I took that chance and, I, and people asked me like, oh, you know, what happened? I'm like, I just, I don't sleep on the battle auction. Right. Like I see opportunity, I take it. Like that could really, really happen. And so one of my biggest things was just take the chance. 
Yeah. Send him a DM, see what happens. And he responded super respectfully, talked to him on the phone, set it up. It was like talking to anybody, like a normal dude. And yeah. I'm like, this is fucking happening right now. And I mean, you're literally on the phone with the guy. Yo, the goat. You kidding me right now? Oh, so I think that the biggest thing is that I have Bill Kazmaier's number saved on my phone, Eddie Cohen. Now, to some people, that's nothing. You know, they got everybody. But sure. to me, it's more like if you just keep plugging away, take the gamble. Yeah, sure. Like send a DM, like say something, ask something. It doesn't hurt. Like be humble and just be like, hey, man, I think that's be awesome. And mm. now he's coming down and it's going to sell out for two days, which is crazy. So the whole state gets to experience it. What? So <laughs> he responds and you say, you say, hey, I think it'd be great if you come to Miami. And then he says, well, yeah, okay. What yeah, happens? Like that. So I'm like, <clears throat> So, uh, hey, first of all, <laughs> day made. You mind if I hang up real quick? Cause I'm gonna die. No. So it was real simple. It was kind of like, I'm like, for real? And almost like, you know, and because you, I don't want to lose that childlike thing from me. Sure. There are some people in this world and this, this sport that I want to, I want to have that. I want a cheese. Yeah. And you can hear the cheese when I spoke to Dave Tate. Uh, when I talk to Stuart, you know, and I want that. Yeah. I want that, like, fuck, man, I'm talking to the goat. Yeah, you know, I'm, I am okay that I'm not on this level yet, where I'm kind of like, eh, it's Eddie Cohen. It's more like, wow, this is happening. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that moment on a personal level. I'm like, this how this is how far we've come. Um, I'm building something, and it could just be that he responded, he's like, yeah, whatever, but fuck it. You know, um, we took that chance. I had met him before. He's a really cool guy. He's one of my shirts, the strongest fuck shirts. And we spoke and we were cool with it. He was very, very, uh, I mean, casual. Um, and so we just expressed the value. I think it would be cool to have two days. Um, and he's like, yeah, sure. If it'll fill. I'm like, you, I can do you know who you problem. are. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I go, yeah, I can probably have 60 people. He's like, whoa. Like he was, he was shocked by this. I'm like serious man you are so humble that i tell you hey i'm gonna fill this up and he's like like almost like really you can get like i was like god you know he still has that yeah it was yeah. very that those genuine little like knickknacks of conversation like, oh you're still like humbled that 60 people would come see you and you're the best powerlifter of all time he responded to you as if someone said hey man we want you to do a seminar for us yes. and we'll have a 60 people and you're like yeah, oh, yeah exactly <laughs> and i was like wow you know like and and that's again this is this is what i feel like some of the best have in common mm. and the best in the sports and the best in the worlds and it's bringing back that ray william conversation it's and um it's talking about the goat and talking about people like shaw and at least for the most part this almost childlike humility mm -hmm. where they're still shocked that people are shocked and they're still happy that people are happy. Of course you should have the swagger of a champion confidence. That's, but that's sure. internal. Sure. I think it's okay to believe in yourself. I think it's okay to almost borderline like arrogance almost that people will perceive as arrogance, but it could be just straight up confidence, but an excitement to be a champion. But more importantly, what you exude, it's very, like a childlike humility, a love, a passion. It's almost like, man, I want to talk to that guy. Like yeah. he looks so excited. And it's all these concepts of what it actually takes to be the best. Like what, 
what can we push forward? It's like, what, Michael, that I've seen, look, I've met Dan Green, I've met Brian Shaw, I've met Eddie Cohen, mm-hmm. I've talked to Brian Carroll, obviously. Um, all these champions. I mean, Donnie Thompson's a good, a good buddy of mine. And they have all this particular feeling when you speak sport to them. When you tell them, oh my God, you're, you know, you're Tony Thompson. It's this humility of thank you for loving that I love something. Yeah. Thank you for seeing that string between something that you maybe not only love me and respect me, but you love also what I gave to the sport. What that, that energy is. I was just talking about what you were saying earlier. Yeah, I mean, it'd be cool if everyone's like, oh, I love MDOP, I'm doing this. But it's more like, I love how much MDOP loves that shit. Yeah, yeah. I want that. You, you can know? see it, um, and it, it, you're a great example of it. Um, when you mention, you just have a, my, my first conversations with you, I knew nothing about Strongman. And just in the first conversations about Strongman, you can see it overflowing in you. So that's what's unique about them. And the same thing for you. It's like when you start speaking on that sport, it's like the cup is pouring out and you can't help it. And there's just this Christmas morning about you. <laughs> that's a good fucking. And wow. that's cool because I'm, I'm very interested. I know who he is. Like I know who he is, but I haven't been in strength sports that long to understand the magnitude. So I'm excited to attend it so that I can really see like. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, man. I, and I, I think that's one of my favorite things about hanging out with. Not even hanging out with, but just being around. I want to say champions too. There's other people that aren't champions that that have this persona too. So I mean, yeah. obviously, but um, I think it's very important, and it's it brings to the topic and the concept of kind of the meat and potatoes of this episode is what it takes to be the best. And you know, we've we've kind of danced around the idea for a little bit, and we've been talking about current events and and overall just who won everything. But the the general feel. And the vibe of the show is obviously record breakers, mm. you know, Arnold champions, previous champions, squat world records, world record Wilkes, um, both on the men and the women's side. And what, what, what is it, what it takes to be the best? And I want to say openly that aside from winning, you know, a good handful of competitions in States once, I wouldn't say I was ever the best in the world, but at one point, and that, at least that day I was the best. And that's cool. When you win something, at least for that fucking day. I mean, when you win, I mean, I'm not just participation medal. Like, you showed up, you beat five, six, seven, eight, ten, twenty guys and girls, and you set and you win. You're the best of the day. Yeah. And maybe you're not the best in the world, which I think is pretty awesome to say. But for that day, you're the best. Um, and then you win a championship, and then so on and so forth. And then you can really say, "Man, I'm the best in the, the world." The carryover, though. Yeah. Think about that. Think about every time you've won. That carryover has lasted you until forever. Yeah, I you mean, remember everything that happened, right? And and I would say this, and I would I would I'd probably argue um, a little bit for it. It's like one of the one of the major points I wanted to bring up about what it takes to be the best. Now, this is just a perspective from looking out in, you know, and in out, I guess I could say. But mostly an outsider's perspective. I don't know exactly what it feels like to be the best in the world, but I know what it is to try. And I've always said that. I may not be the best in the world, but I certainly try like it. And sure. I know I can do better. I know I can. And because I have an idea, I know what it takes. And that's why I can be, I think people on the way to the top can be so self-critical and so hard on themselves. They are starting to get a taste of what it feels like or what they need to do 
to be the best because you've won and you really, really lost. And what it takes to be the best is recognizing more of your losses than your wins. Mm -hmm. And you can see a lot of people in this sport really hunker down and attach themselves to winning because they've either never lost enough or they just brush it aside so quickly that they're on to the next win. And they ease into the next win and ease into the next one because they're they're trying to stop that hole of loss. And whether that's injury, whether that's actually losing, bombing out, and or personally failing, you know, you went out to do a certain log and you got crushed by it. Mm-hmm. And I think what it takes to be the best part of that, um, and a lot of this is straight up because I, you know what, Johnny, I was gonna I was gonna write a list of what it takes to be the best. I'm like, again, I'm like. Bullshit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna do this organic, you know, like that's the best way. Because I feel it. You know, I trained this morning. Um, you know, I tweaked my bicep a little bit. I was kind of like, mm. I go, but this is what it takes. Now mm-hmm. I didn't tweak it being an asshole, I tweaked it, but it's part of the sport. Um, and I said, Well, the only way I can train is by waking up at four thirty. And that doesn't necessarily mean this is what it takes to be the best. But I know that if I didn't do it, I was going to set myself up for failure because that's what I've done before to fail where I'm like, I can do this tomorrow Mm -hmm. or I can do this Friday night because it's easier for me, but not optimal. I'm like, I'll take the easier path. And it, it builds up. It builds that kind of trench of taking the easy way out and avoiding the failures from a, you know, thinking back, Mike, you remember when you did this in 2015? Yeah. Well, you're doing it again. It's dodging your discomforts. Correct. Wow. Beautiful. Exactly. And I felt it. And one of the major points I wanted to bring up is that is focusing not necessarily negatively on the losses, but the the profound wisdom that you should be fucking getting from them rather than that negative beat up. I can tell you right now, and I think most champions would say that they would, they can probably really name all the times they got fucking beat or that they really bombed out. And I think most of them will tell you more of those stories. Mm-hmm. The champions that I've hung out with then literally just talk war stories about their best day ever mm-hmm. because they know that the meat and potatoes is all their losses or those ones that they just inched out. Yeah, and sure. that's a major factor. I think when you're trying to be the best in anything is the perspective you have on losses and attaching yourself to them as lessons than actual victory. And I know you see all those fucking memes out there. I was like, yeah, you know, learn from your losses. You didn't lose. No, you fucking lost. But you have to learn. Now, how do you avoid being consumed by a loss? Oh, good question, because I literally, I know this all too well, uh, mostly when I fought. Loss, losing and fighting is probably the worst feeling in the world because you're just completely crushed emotionally, physically. You lost to your friends and family, and if you really got your ass beat, you have marks to show that. And when somebody asks you, you're like, no, I lost. And they look at you with this fucking face like, Oh, poor you. And I'm like, motherfucker. Mm. And I'm like, no, it's cool, man. Thank you, because you're not really on your level. But sure. it's one of the worst things in the world. And it haunts you. It starts to build like a plague. Now, again, it is the practice of the process. And, you know, there's obviously people, I love how E.T. say practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanence. And that's my favorite fucking line. Because, yes, in sports it's we say one. practice yeah, makes perfect. But if you practice hard, your your legacy it's permanent. You yeah. will always either look really good or triumph. And that also, when he says perfect, he takes permanence in the sense of something beyond the physical. If you're perfectly practicing something, people will remember you for that effort. 
And it's something that, luckily, I have been gifted with sucking dick so long, though. <laughs> Not for 87,000. I don't have a price. 87,000. <laughs> but <laughs> euros. Euros. Um, so... Like, for example, my last two years, yeah. it's really practicing to make perfect because I fucked up so bad for my back and then tore my bicep, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes that permanence a concept. And if you practice when you get out of that hole, the step-by-steps, every time you lose in anything, you build the fortitude like chinks of armor, little by little. So the next time it happens, you have that to rest on. But if every time you're only waiting for the big loss... Mm-hmm. You'll be haunted by everything. But here's an example. You have a great training day, but it's not so great. You miss a lift, but, but it's kind of a loss. Analyze it. Okay, I did this. Respect it. Get your perspective on it mm-hmm. and use it as a, a little lesson learned rather than, oh, it happens sometimes. Well, why did it happen? Mm-hmm. Analyze it. Think about it. Then you get a little bit, one day you have two bad lifts. You just have a real kind of a shit day. Don't brush it off. Because these little lessons you're learning from these small little hits are prepping you for the big hit when you get fucked up for real. Mm. You drop the log on yourself. You hurt yourself. You lose at a competition. Those big losses. You're out for four months. So you're saying you, it, it's, it's not the on to the next one mentality. It's on to the each and every single one so that you can get on to the next one. You can't. You, in my opinion, you can't face a big loss if you've always just brushed the small losses. Again, the, uh, to me, the quality of a champion is the focus on losing. It mm-hmm. is not the focus. No, I'm not saying don't enjoy it. You know, sometimes words can be taken out of context, but let's focus on what I think is more optimal, what the bigger meat and potatoes is, like I said. It is every time you take that little hit, Think about it. For example, I swear, I swear, right now I'm nonstop thinking about my bicep tendon. Not my tendon, but the, the belly. What did I do? I didn't hydrate enough. Okay. I didn't take my sodium like I did normally. I should have rested a little bit more. You know, Mike, maybe taking these times like starting at 5 a.m. is not working for you. Mm. Analyze that. Yeah. Prep it. It's not a bad day. It wasn't a bad decision. It's a hit of the sport, but know you can prepare yourself better. Cool. So when I do, if eventually, hopefully not, but if it does come, I've built these little mental moments where I'm starting to, some people get a tweak in their bicep or their hamstring and they go home and like life is over. Oh, they just, oh, I tweaked my bicep. Like I'm going to take some time off. I can't walk in my life. Uh, it's over. It's, is it? Yeah. No, take a moment. Chill. Analyze it. What do you tweak? Bicep. Why? Oh, I don't know. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You should, probably shouldn't have gone out two days ago. Oh, Okay. You probably missed a meal five days ago that's picking up steam and now you're losing your momentum. Mm-hmm. Cool. I got it. I analyze. I build that shield and you go on forward and forward and forward to when you really get fucked. So it's like you can't, in my opinion, you always focus on the losses, even the little ones, because they're the ones that prepare you for the big ones. So like a, almost like a mentality of learn from the losses, but learn to love the victory. Yeah. We love and respect it. But I, I can even say that. You know, you can say that backwards. Love the losses and learn from the victories. You know, it's it's almost like it almost works the same thing, but just a different perspective. If that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Um, you really have to learn the the bad side of the sport. Were you always good at doing that um, per event? Actually, <laughs> I, was, I don't know what episode we talked about this in, but I'm actually not, still not that good at it. I'm just really good at being uh, wrong, and I'm good at being scared. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, people. I don't know. I really I thought I talked about this. It doesn't matter. It did, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, I think it was like episode nine or whatever. And like, I, I, I still deal with it, uh, especially when I fought. God, I was so nervous. I used to pee like 10 times before a fucking fight. I was like, oh, I don't have to keep like taking my gloves off, like practice peeing myself, basically. The anxiety was real. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew the anxiety of people watching me was real, my coach or whatever. And, um, you know, it's it, my coach, Wes, Wesley Carroll, um, he mentioned that he gave me a list. And my favorite one is like, it's anxiety. You know, you're scared. That's good. Use it. Hmm. And at the bottom, he would mention, like, you're never going to feel this again. I was like, oh. He's like, and he told me, he's like, one day this will stop. And you won't have the anxiety of sport because you're done competing. And even the bad, the terrible, you'll miss. You'll miss the the butterflies, the the nervous shits, the the missed chalk. I didn't chalk my right finger. The the belt miss looped. You'll miss those little nuances of things going bad because even those matter. Hmm. And that was like, oh, and I used to just exhale those nerves thinking I need to appreciate the bad just as much when things go good. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to say, but it's part of practice. So no, I haven't always been good. And I'll tell you what, I'm still, I still struggle yeah. um, with that concept, but it's, it's what I love. <laughs> I fucking love practicing that shit. I love it. Yeah. I'm just not always good at it. Man. <laughs> got that wow it's the bang energy drink i know i know like i'm feeling like, can we just compete right now my just bad turn off this fucking song. <laughs> yeah and then and and again it's like i think it's a competitive mindset but and i and i hope that the message always transcends the sport because mm-hmm. that really should be about everything you know i mean i've had a conversation with oh, i was having a conversation recently and uh it's about having something in common with somebody. Mm. And I go, I think the most beautiful thing is having the only thing you have in common is that you have a good bit of things you don't have in common. I'm like, cause I would hate to be with myself. Yeah. You know, I was talking about, Oh my, with my girlfriend, I was <laughs> like, I would hate for you. being like me. I hate it. My best friends are not like me at all. Yeah. yeah. I hate, if I see somebody else like me, I'm like, what a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm like, why is he so funny and loud and fucking annoying? I'm like, fuck that guy. You're like, Mike, he's just like you. I'm like, oh, oh he's your like best me? friend now, huh? Yeah, go ahead. Marry that motherfucker. <laughs> Why'd you marry him? I'm leaving now. Yeah, I'm taking my fucking, my Nintendo. I'm going home, idiot. Um, but it's like the, the most, kind of the coolest part for me is the, looking at what you don't have in common and being like, oh, that's what I kind of like having in common with you. Yeah. And it's kind of the same perspectives, like, you know, kind of suck at this. I'm like, well, here's why I suck. I'm like, mm, kind of like that. You know, that you you better like it. Yeah. Because if you're good at everything, then, you know, it'll get boring. What an idiot. Yeah, who's super good at everything? Pieces of shit. Um, I can name that. Brad Pitt. Oh, man. Well, yeah, he's, 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 he's really good. Troy? Bongiorno. Godly. Yeah. I mean, the guy's... You can't be. That's stupid. That someone's that good looking. Yeah, and that Legend talented. of the Fall. Jesus, I just aged myself. You chime in if you. <laughs> let me get a DM for everybody who's over thirty. And be like, oh my god, Legend of the Fall. What yeah, a movie. yeah, what a guy. It's awesome. Um, and and so one of the like when I was talking about before earlier in the in the competition, and the concept too to keep going of what it takes to be the best. I think is the patience of a champion, mm. and. I'm I'm leaning towards a titling the episode that, but what that really means, and that's the second point. You know, the first one is the concept of learning or loving the failures, and um, 
The second one is the patience of a champion. I could just put patience. Sure. But there is a difference of the patience, the patience of somebody who is the best and the general patience of, I would say, us, you know, not the best. I mean, fact. Also the not the best, best at patience. I mean, I'm the best. could be the best at drinking. Yeah, and also not the best at patience. And here's an example. Now, Hafter Beyonson four years ago was he'll never win the Arts. He's not strong enough. He was just, he was like, it's Big Z or Shaw. That's it. They, they're statically stronger. Remember, Half Thor's problem was the deadlift. That was his weakness. And now he's, aside from Eddie Hall, and he's re- basically retired, Half Thor is the best, best deadlifter and strongman in the world right now. Oh, my God. And all and that he was, fucking travel time he has, and all he's time. the best. And you're, you're looking at something. So four years ago, it was like, well, if he can get his static strength up. That, mm. was, the, that was the thing. Mm. Four years ago so you have a guy that's been in the sport six years at the time i think he started about 19 or 20 he's six years in you're being told hey bud like sean big z like hey man just be real focus on your strength we'll see kind of like a almost like people talk about lissich and mateos last year before they blew up like "Eh, we'll see in a few years yeah even though they blew up pretty crazy this year four years later you're the best in Europe, the best in the world, the best in Iceland, the Arnold's twice I on mean, your way to possible what a run. And that's four years. Let me say this again. There's some people listening to this podcast who've been lifting for two mm-hmm. and their patience sucks. And I know this because I used to be the thing as a younger man when I was fighting because I fought long enough to my patience was got pounded into me basically. <laughs> and you got literally, people, literally and, and figuratively yeah. like, I'm like, oh, I learned that. I'm going to crack my jaw. No big deal. Um, <laughs> Best I'm going to be patient with eating that yeah. was strong. <laughs> makes me bleed my own blood on the floor. <laughs> and, and look, if you have a guy who's considered one of the best, at the time he was top 10, mm-hmm. probably I think top six or something, he had placed second consistently at Worlds, but it was always like he's not strong enough, he's mm-hmm. not strong enough. Four years he waited and, by, and you know took, took his time. Yeah. And he's waiting for, and people in the sport for two are already impatient. They can't stand losing. They're like, oh, I can't this, and this is hard, and I'm hurt, and I'm tired. I'm like, man, you see, there's a difference. Maybe maybe you should look into the patience of a champion and see two years out of ten. Wow, yeah. You know, and I was just thinking about this in the car the other day, about the lifespan of of a sports athlete. And there's your life. You know, however old you think you're going to live to, 60, 65, whatever. And there's the lifespan of your sport. Realistically, somewhere between 10 and 15 years, if you're lucky to be a competitive athlete in strength. Let's just say if you're even at the from the backyard level to the high level. I'm not saying at the top. At the top, you might have five or six years or even less, right? Yeah. And you have to analyze, like, where in that lifespan, where are you? And I, I got this, I, you're not going to believe me, but I got this from listening to the astrophysicist Brian Cox, and he's talking about the, the lifespan of the planet. You know, and he's telling them the relative, the, you know, how relative it is to the universe. It's, it's a boop. Like, it's like a blink of an eye and faster than that. That's how relative the Earth's existence is. Mm-hmm. Well, if you put that into perspective, 10 years out of your 70-year life, it's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's a blip. Yeah. Now, what are you going to do with it? If you're not patient, that 10 turns to 8, and that 8 turns to 6. If you're not patient, it's almost like counterintuitive. Take your time 
so you can have time. It's like saying drive slow and you'll get home faster. Jesus, I just pulled that out of my ass. But you wow. hear that? Drive slow and you'll get home faster because the guy that's driving home at 90, really cool, cool but what are the likelihood of fucking accident? Yeah. What is the likelihood you won't make it home? Pretty fucking high up there, right? Yep. That is the way sports works. I mean, for the most part. You know, you got guys like, again, like we brought up Larry Wheels last episode that are skyrocketing to the top, but he's been in the game already for like eight years. Yeah, I mean, people when, forget that. Like 18, I think he started. Or yeah, 17. he's still got time. And what about Alan Colley? Wasn't Alan Colley's, wasn't he in Strongman for quite a while still before, he been, strong, yeah, before he won his pro card? He was in the game for seven years or eight years before he won his pro card at Nationals. That was just to get his pro card. Just to get his freaking pro card. It was really hard and super competitive back then. And I'll tell you what, yeah, Alan from my house. Um, that's the patience. Yeah. And that's also because you love that sport. So when you're looking yeah. at these things and you're looking at the, don't forget the lifespan you have in your in your sport. Don't yeah. forget that it's time invested in what you're doing. Then your lifespan in the sport will go a lot longer if you're slower. And it's it's your, like I said in the other episodes, you're putting money in the bank. You know, like I have my anger bank when I'm getting pissed. And I put points and get like when I, I don't know if I've told you, but mm-hmm. if I get really pissed off and I'm like waiting to get angry. I say I put money in my anger bank. I'm like, that's $5 worth of angerness later. It also helps me calm down. It's my therapy thing. You're welcome. <laughs> but if you're putting money in the bank. Yeah. You put in like, like spine stuff. You know, yeah, I can't, I'm going to go play. I'm not going to go play golf because it's taking years off my deadlift. You know, it's take, I can't go and fucking play soccer with my friends because I have to put money in the bank for my spine for a 600 pound pull on an axle bar. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing by being patient. So those are my top two. I would say, obviously my biggest two comments representation or ideas of what i think it takes to be the best it is obviously the focus on failures you know mm-hmm. really analyze them from big to small you don't have to lose a championship game to learn it can yeah. take the the one missed basket in practice the best know which one they missed sure they might hit 24 three for three free throws and they'll <clears throat> that one that one now yeah, there's something um we were talking about and you, you know, we were talking about relation to friends and people who are like you and not like you. And then we also got into the concept of the way you lift. And part of the conversation was that I'm, I'm the way I am when I lift because I don't know how much more time I have. So I treat each one of those lifts as my last. And how do you tie that into also patience you know, how do you, where do you find the medium of like, okay, I need to be patient, but also I'm running out of time. Oh, wow, great question. I would say it's because patience is the only thing even getting me there. You know, I would say, I wish I could tell you patience will get me to the next one, but then that'd be countering what I'm asking you, what I'm telling you. Yeah. The only way I can get to there is no tomorrow is by having been patient yesterday. That's, that is what I feel in my bones. Like if I know I'm patient, if I was patient yesterday, I earned my right now so that there may be a chance of not having this tomorrow. Like dancing with the devil one more time is a gift to me. Like, and of course I mean that in so many ways, I'm, I can be very funny and self-destructive in many ways with the whiskey bottle. But what I'm telling you out of my heart is to have the chance to dance with the devil, I had to have been patient yesterday. And the day before, and the day before, 
and it is it is it gives me the chance to go. It, it's like man, all the work you do to see the green light on the racetrack, you know, building that machine, and it's yeah. by being patient. And that's how I talk to myself now. Of course, we can. These are drifting moments, ebb and flows of feelings. Sometimes I do call it. So the idea of there is no tomorrow is a motivator for me to be patient mm -hmm. because I understand that I can't even go f like be at this moment without patience. Mm -hmm. So that it becomes a habitual thing. Yeah. Because um, I know if you say there is no tomorrow, it can also lend itself to pushing yourself. It is yeah. almost like a yin and yang for me. Right. So patience, but also everything, everything is right there. It is really like, you know, if I tell you this is the yin and yang of something, you understand that, just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a dichotomy of things. You got this concept yeah. going, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's how I feel like when I say there is no tomorrow. For me and my perspective, my philosophy is patience to get there and the patience and then the, the rage to turn on and be like, I'm going to fuck it up. Because if I'm lifting with the, oh, I need to be patient for tomorrow. Oh, fuck. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of my philosophy on many, many things. Patience and to get there and then patience to the moment to the moment until the moment happens right and then i mean there really is no tomorrow and those like i know it sounds but those moments don't exist you know i'm gonna give you an example of what i mean by this and i hope it doesn't sound too crazy but those little blind spots when i'm lifting those little eye of the not even the eye of the hurricanes but the the actual storm of lifting when I'm not really thinking, I'm reacting. I'm like this wild animal and it's just going. Mm -hmm. And you can tell me, did you hear this? I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. I just, I was moving my, like all the practice and patience and, and permanence has made me have this moment of like nothingness. Like I'm like, ah. And then, you, you know, people that really lift heavy yeah. or, or push themselves. I can be running. It can be anything. Mm-hmm. Those little moments, that's the addiction there. That's the, oh man, I need that again. Essentially the runner's high. The runner's high. The lifter's yeah. high. You know, like that that last five feet in the keg. I can tell you right now, do you remember what that felt like? You're like, nope, I just knew I was dying. Mm -hmm. You forget that something hurts. You forget mm -hmm. that you had a shitty day. You forget that people are gone. I've recently you learned there. that. Yes. And I'm like, those moments don't even exist. They're like little like cutouts. Mm -hmm. So I don't even count that as tomorrow or nothing. It is like, this is what the hope practices for this is what the patience is for these little whoop and that's what i love about lifting heavy obviously i love training and the technique and the practice whatever but sure. be real a lot of us are doing this menial bullshit yeah for that little bit that you sense in competition or that one great deadlift or whatever that little blind spot sure and to me that's that you know the patience to get there to say there is no tomorrow you know? i i've i found a lot of joy in in learning and loving the process and I, and maybe I won't be a competitor forever, but I might forever train like I'm going to compete in Oof. a couple of weeks because there's something that I've found. So bringing me back right down to like, it's like a sitting at a table and, and being amongst all the people you care about. It's training that way. Yeah. And brings you right to the table. Right. Just, like, uh, like dinner. Yeah. And it, there. everything around you is the only thing that matters. Yeah. And every, I really love the process. You know, I don't know how great I'll be, but I know that the process and in, in the process, I'll be great. And I mean, 
Yeah, exactly. Actually, <laughs> that's not much more. To, that's exactly what the we were talking about that last time with the process. And then it's like you know, it's such a thrown out word nowadays. Obviously, like, but I just oh, literally, I'm not even that good Trust of vocabulary. The yeah, uh, yeah, it's like every meme ever, but it's true. And the problem is, a lot of people use that without putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's where happiness is. It's in the process, like you said. Yeah. You may never ever fulfill that thing, but the process, if you really love it. And that's what I mean about the bad things and the losing and the failing. That's um, the bigger part of the process. Yeah, is the pain and all that little stuff. And that's what you need to fucking. That's what you need to love. And I, I really like like being able to come back and getting a second shot at something. Like yeah. you know, it's like all right, you know, you missed that five hundred deadlift. Well, three weeks we're gonna work you up and you're gonna try it again. Right. You know, another crack at it. Wow, what a blessing. Yeah. Or, I mean, I've been waiting for my seven hundred pound deadlift for four years, <laughs> and it's uh. It never gets old. I just had this conversation the other day at the gym, and uh, I was talking to somebody, and I said the last time I deadlifted 700 pounds was four years ago. The last time I loaded a stone over 200, which was a 365, was 2015, I believe. If not 2016, let's say at the latest, Mm -hmm. over three three years ago now. And today I loaded a 253 (laughs) and tweaked my bicep. And they're like, and they, you know, they looked at me with a kind of like, doesn't that piss you off face? I'm like, it can, but most of the time it doesn't. Yeah, sure. Because I'm like, well, here we are. We got something to fight for again. Like I'm literally at the weight of the stone that I was four years ago, five years ago. Yeah. And I've been in the sport for almost eight. But you've earned that weight back. Yes. And that's the difference. That's the difference. And that's the process of it. And that if I didn't look at it that way being the person that I am mm-hmm. or the person that I was is what I, I want to say. I would go crazy. If you would have told me this, if I remember when I used to like tweak something and I would go down to like 50%, it was the end of the fucking world for me. Mm. And I feel that a lot of lifters are like that. Sure. More so now. They just haven't learned or they haven't been coached right. So even they're complaining about deload weeks. I'm like, man, you're so lucky. Nothing special. Yeah, you're deload. Yeah, exactly. Motherfucker. You're special because you have something to deload. You're 70% more than my fucking max. And and that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it was, again, because I saw it as a chance to better myself. I knew that if I had to retry for 420, it's an even greater journey than when I did it the first time. Or at least I need to fucking tell myself that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, you don't, it's it's not suggestive. It's factual. It's, yeah, this. Right. Thank you. Yeah, this is real. This yeah. is more important. You know, like I had a fucking. That's why that three fifteen at my in Florida's was so. It, that okay. That <laughs> log press literally symbolized everything to me. Sure. And that's why I almost lost my shit. Sure. And I, I mean, was like, oh, I lost my shit. No, oh, I lost. It. We were all a little. Above. Yeah. And that's the thing too, as you had mentioned uh, when we talked earlier, and then we talked about people at the top level. And we talked about the way they respect each other. And that was never more evident than in that moment of everybody watching you. Because everyone from competitor to audience member needed to see you lift that. Because they know the journey. It's documented, you know. So it was a relief for the spectator, the competitors, because people want their best crack at you. They know yeah. who you are. They don't want to give see me on my worst day. Yeah. And that's kind of a credit to those competitors. You can see they're like, all right, we're going to play now. Like yep, this yep. just got serious, you yep. know, and the same. You're right. It's like when you land somebody the belt and I'm, I'm 
I'd like to, again, I'd like to consider myself that I may not be the best of all time, but my efforts, sure. my, my love is, it's, it's that, you know, you can say just like that, uh, you'll never outwork me concept. It's like, you'll never, you'll never like quantify the desire I have to be the best. And it, it, it's high up there. Yeah. It's high. I'm not saying it's like the, obviously I'm not trying to compare myself to anybody cause it's foolish, but it's fucking up there, man. Sure. And you can feel it. And when you're hanging out with other people that are like that, you can feel it. It's like a thing in the air. You know, you're like, fuck it. I'm around people that really want to better themselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and it's thing. the same people want to want to be able to say, man, I beat that guy at the top of his game. Yes. Right. That's what you want. Yeah. You know, like when you like a boxer. Sure. When he's at the end of his game. You want to like, fight yeah, old but, Tyson? Yeah. You know, old Muhammad, like already Jack Consalo, bro, they were beat up. You're like, nah, if you would have caught him on his, I'm like, yeah. But I mean, it's unfair to the guy that he, that beat him. But still, you know, even the guy that beat him is kind of like, I wish I would have gotten a crack at him when he was at his best. Yeah, I mean, for for Tyson's credit, I would not want to be punched by him no, now either. Now I'd be like, man, please, you're vegetarian now, right? Just yeah. hang out, <laughs> chill Come out, on, man. I eat salad sometimes. I love, I don't know, I love salad. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, is this a tofu? <laughs> no, that's not my throw up. I swear. That's you mean that's not dressing. <laughs> Tastes Weird. the same. Weird. So, so let me ask you this then. Define the best. Hmm. Like if I had to describe the best, yeah. shit. Define the best, and and we'll we'll do it. We'll take it to strongman, and then we'll take it to strength sports. Like just define the best, and it doesn't literally have to be like it's easy to go. No, it's Hapthorn. That's 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 cop out. Right. You kind of. The best in the sense of the characteristics or something of what it takes. Like, the who def- is the best? Yeah, yeah, what defines the best? Mm. I mean, if you were going to say in its practical, like, practical dis- like definition, it's that being the top of your game, right? Sure. Um, and that's certainly described. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bullshit you. Being the best means you're better than everybody else in the world. Sure. Fact. Um, and that's, that's okay to say that. I'm not trying to give a participation. Um, if you're going to ask me what makes the best athletes, I would say... Um, part of it is the best people and it's their effort and the things that are intangible at a hundred percent and how they, how much of that they're willing to give up and how much you're willing to give up or what's special to you to push forward. So to, to really simplify that consider the best people, I'd be with the best athletes in the world typically are some of the best people, not always, but typically, and that they're given a hundred percent to sacrifice everything and everyone to push their sport and themselves forward. And that is like the concept of putting the life preserver on yourself. You cannot help others if you're not helping yourself at a hundred percent. That doesn't mean extreme selfishness, but most certainly to be the best, to make others rise, to make others push forward, even when they don't know they're being pushed forward. Even when they know or they think they're doing the best that's for them and it's not, this is like being a coach, you will do everything in your power to do so. But first you need to do it for yourself. And that's important than being the best. And those characteristics and that effort is what exudes out of you and motivates others. You would hate to see the best in the world doing the best for others only or primarily. Those are typically people who are viewed as like phonies and divas and, and, and clowns, you know, mm. oh, I just want to do the best of this to impress you. 
But if you're doing it deeply for yourself in an almost unselfish way, if that makes sense, you are driving fucking forward. And those are the people that exude greatness. Mm. They have this attitude. They wake up. Look, for example, like when you look at somebody like real popular now, like Jocko Willington, you can tell that in his prime, this guy was doing everything he could to be the best. Yeah. Waking up early, you know, all these concepts. And that's what I feel like. But those are inherently selfish things. But they they'll exude almost like a selfless dedication. Yeah. And that's what people want. That's what I was talking about earlier. You don't want a champion that wakes up early to satisfy his bosses. You want a champion that wakes up before everyone and trains fucking hard so he can be and sure she can be the absolute best on that field that day over everyone to show you mm-hmm. what it takes. And those are things that aren't tangible. It's not the money they're making. It's not how many sets they did. It's not how many reps they did. And, you know, outside of the, you're the best in the world. And that I just said earlier, that is what it takes is the intangible, the effort, not the trophies. And I feel like that's what the best athletes in the world are. The best ones, you know, sometimes you literally can't, there's several weight classes, there's several federations, there's different sports, but they exude that, that dedication, that life preserver on themselves. And that shit inspires me, man. You know, like yeah. it's it, it, that best effort. Best How about athlete. give me a best, give me a best that inspires you that's not in strength sports. Ooh. You know, okay. I've been watching that show, um, Losers. And, Never heard uh, of it. So it's on Netflix. It's called Losers. It's basically people who have come up short. Mm, um, I saw that advertised on Netflix the other day. Yeah. I was and, like, you don't know my life, Netflix. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Idiot. And... I would say that, not in strength sports, one of my favorite players um, in soccer was, at the time, he was, he was named early for really soccer nerds, was Lothar Mateus. Now, he was part of Germany in that time, was one of the best teams in the world, obviously, at the Is time. Is this the one they won the World Cup? Yeah, in 92. Okay. So the team was incredibly good, but he was always in a position of not being like the forward. He kind of moved back in line. And that was always an inspiration for me because I always felt like he never got the major credit until later in his years. And obviously he ended up being a defensive player and they never get any credit because yeah. they're not scoring the goals. And that was one of the best non-like image, non-top players. Of course, they won the World Cup, so it almost ruins what I'm saying. But you get the <laughs> concept of it that really, really pushed forward. Mm. Um, and I, for a long time too, not, again, this is years ago, Oh, man, non-strength sports kind of fucked me on that one. Mm, you're welcome. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, the one I could think of was a soccer player. Um, it was Lothar. Was he was he a forward first and then so got pushed So he started back? like upper midfield, and as he got older, and he got uh-huh. wiser, he got pushed towards the back. And then you had Jurgen Klingsman, Rudy Volder, doing all the fucking goal scoring. Yeah. But it's almost like that captain in the back, that wise wolf kind yeah. of guiding things. And this is not necessarily in the limelight, but pushing things forward. Almost being like it's almost like the a really good bassist in a band. Yeah, yeah. If there's a good lead singer, you're like, huh, it's not really bad, but he's part of that engine. Yeah. Um, but that was one of my one of my favorite things. Most of the time now, it's funny you say that and you're asking me about non-strength sports. It's like you become almost so specific. Like yeah, I almost sure. don't care about any other. Like I'm like football. I'm like I don't know. I'm not gonna say Tannehill because fuck that guy. But you know, you get you, you really fall into that strength concept. I mean, Tom Brady's a great example of a champion. Guy yeah. was seventh round pick. It started as a fucking loser, quote as unquote. As a loser, sitting on the bench. Crushed it. And then they're like, 
Hey, here's your chance. Yeah. yeah. We'll just see if you can win this game. And now I hate you for just being <laughs> fucking awesome. Six championships. Bro. We can have a whole episode on why we just hate Tom Brady. And it's all just positive jealousies. Yeah, like, sure. You're just so handsome, you idiot. Yeah, stupid. Yeah. Like, you're a man who makes Uggs look good, you piece yeah. of shit. Oh, cool sweater. Just looks amazing. And I hate it. <laughs> Is that it's fitted? So stupid. I like can never wear anything fitted. I'm too big. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Triple X, though. <laughs> so, um, I know that, uh, well, we are... Wow, we've put in some time. He's there, busy. <laughs> there is a going live. Watch, I'm gonna go live. You wanna jump live? I yeah, like that. I'm gonna do it. While we do that, I have um, a question. Mm-hmm. The question was sent in by the sweetheart of strongman, Mike Michael DiPiero. <laughs> sweetie, sweetie cakes. God, my grandson. I want to eventually just like teach my kids to be more like him. He is such a great guy. It's fucking that's disgusting. Like, you can pay Pommy $100 for that, Mike, okay? Because that's, uh, that's what it takes to get a compliment here. That's the that's the over-under. All right, and I want to find it. He sent a pretty good question, and I think that it speaks really well. So let's see. So I'm going to read this. It's going to sound kind of like a douchey thing to do, but I don't want to spin it in my own way because mm-hmm. I'm selfish, and I'll do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says, uh, well, as we are aware... Some of the best athletes, especially from the Miami area, can be quite the delinquents <laughs> <laughs> and or have a lot going on in their lives, whether it's finances or poor upbringing, mental illness, kids, etc., and, and all these adversities. And he wants to know, what do you think are some of the best ways to cope with the trials of or upbringing, financial positions, like how how do you make it where it's not full consumption um, because you need to separate the two, yeah? Yeah, so that's a tough question in the sense of that it's a, it's a big one. I mean, I guess you can say, especially in the Miami area, because he's, he's probably been down here a couple of times, um, I think maybe people in Miami are a little bit more vocal about their delinquencies. <laughs> It's almost like this weird pride we have down here about being bad people. Which the is fucking Miami. Yeah, it's just, whatever it is, nigga, we here. And I'm like, okay, that's true. I mean, I'm like that. I could be ratchet myself, but yeah, um, I do believe there was a uh, MDLP talk that said, "Come into my show, you're in my fucking town. Oh, fuck you up." That's that's. I mean it. I mean it. Um, I mean it. And uh, so one of the biggest things I guess I could say. I remember hearing a uh, who is it? A Teddy Atlas, maybe. That some of the, the best boxers always come up, if not the best boxers, always come up like in hardships. Mm-hmm. They got that furnace. They have that coal, that that fire. And if it's in their belly, it comes from hardships. And I mean, I remember as at one point being like, well, I never came from, you know, such poverty and shit like that. I mean, I didn't have an easy upbringing, but by no means was I selling drugs in the street to survive. But mm. I do understand what he means by that. And if I want to take it out of context is typically the sport provides something to obviously fill that void that but that void can be used as that furnace um and i prefer using the, fur, the, the term furnace because void just sounds like something your energies are just being thrown into can i say something real quick yeah of course thank you for using the word furnace because uh there's some guys you know jt and grump that made fun of me because i use the word furnace 
Really? It's probably because yeah. they don't know what it is. <laughs> I think so. They're like, furnace? Yeah, is that a car? Time up north. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you mean like to heat up a house? Yeah, yeah they're furnace. probably like, bro, you mean AC, bro? They made fun of me for <laughs> no. so long, and I'm like, bro, Terrible. you don't know what a fucking furnace is? If you would have said is it was in reference to a boxing thing, they would have been like, oh, cool, bro. Oh, I'll get damn. a six packs of paps right now. I'll get that. Bless those two. They're going to listen to this and be mad. <laughs> um, hmm. So, as, as what I'm saying is, if we're going to use that as a, as a furnace and the concept of that oven cooking for you, when it, when it comes to these strength sports and developing that and, and how it helps and how it actually, why a lot of people turn to strength, especially, I guess outside of boxing, you know, outside of fighting, in my opinion, mm. strength sports and maybe rugby in these physical sports like MMA and, and Muay Thai, they really help fill that oven with coal, with energy. Sure. Um, and that typically most of these people um, are tired of being fucking fucked over and i know personally one of our lifters who came from a very very hard bringing upbringing in colombia bad decisions all over the place being mm. a punk kid fucking delinquent and we talked a lot and then the, the luxury of being a coach and 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 you know you're really in, involved with these lifters and the concept of what that sport meant to him and i remember listening to him it's like it helped rebuild me and mm. help it helped like piece together the broken person that I was. And when you listen to like real, like real hard upbringings, it's mm -hmm. like you're shattered. It's not like you're this, you come off hard and you come off like you're just fucking made of like stone, but you're just glass. I remember talking about, I don't know if I saw a picture or I dreamt about it, but typically the toughest, hardest leaders are like this giant rock and the water is coming up slightly, you know, obviously masking the bottom of the stone, but it's on this little needle. And you can just take the waves crashing and you can go. But when you go, it's all the way down. It's There is no like, oh, I, I shifted a little. Mm -hmm. And I, I've if to answer his question as far as why it means so much and why a lot of these people and what it can do is that it helps rebuild that. And it, it, it adds it adds coal to that fire to harden that steel. Like they need it now. They mm -hmm. don't under they were broken by life and decisions and, and bad and bad shit. And that sport is helping them piece together because now for once. Instead of being betrayed, lied to, abused, having to fuck people over to get through life, the honesty of lifting, the honesty of strength sports mm -hmm. is what brings them back. Yeah. And a part of me is expressing what I think, because I'm not saying I'm a, a person with extreme mental disorders, but we all got some craziness. We all got some depression. We all got some downness. And that's how I feel. I feel mm. like when things are out of my control, when you're lost, when you're upset, when you make bad decisions, you start to take a negative outlook on life. Like it's out to get me. You know, mm. I'm out fucked. I'm getting fucked over. It's over. Mm -hmm. Sports, I can't do that. I can only blame myself. Yeah. It's it truly like Henry Rollins says, 225 will always be 225. Yeah. Like truthfully, obviously, fucking misload and all stupid. <laughs> but be real. And the only way I know I'm going to get that up quote unquote, is because I don't quit. It's like, it is apparent mm -hmm. that what I have to do is work harder and I'm not being betrayed at 225. Two plates are always, when I don't wake up and that's going to be like, oh, I decided to be 215 today. I decided to lie to you today and, and backstab you and take your money and treat you like shit and lie to you and abuse you. Yeah. No, man, I'm here and the only one that can move me is you. Um, I'll add to that too. <clears throat> I think coming from you know, broken situations, the advantage to being an athlete or strength athlete is actually just re a lot of people coming from those situations come from a situation without actual, um, 
being taught love. Yeah. So they come from a history of uh, parents who maybe are not affectionate or maybe they don't say I love you or maybe they don't do anything and they just come home and beat the shit out of you. I mean, right. yeah. and, and, and life does a lot of the same things. Life a lot of times doesn't love you back. For the most part, (laughs) (laughs) I would say no. I would say no, unless it's a rainy day. So as you start to uh, educate yourself on patience and you start to apply patience, then you start to care more about the time that you're putting in. And through caring about the time you're putting in, you start to learn to love the time you're putting in because you're attached to it. Mm. You had a choice to do something with your time and you chose to do it in strength. Right. And like, just to piggyback on what you're saying, it's, you're being rewarded for it for once. Finally. You know, like, um, I was talking about it to my boy the other day. At a certain point in your life, it's like, it's taking more out of you now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in every way. Everything you do at a certain point in your life is taken away from you. School, work, relationships, friendships. You feel that no matter what you're investing in something. Finally, you have something where you're literally being repaid for the most part. Unless you're tr- uh, truly, when, like I said, unless you're trying to be great at a sport in which you more is taken from you. If you're training for the love of it and you're training, it's like this thing where you're just, you're constantly rewarded mm-hmm. because even the failures now are seen as earned. Mm-hmm. You're not seen as, oh, I'm being fucked over. It's like, I fucked up. I just almost, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it because I went out last night. I didn't get it because I'm not dieting. I didn't get it because I'm not listening to my coach. It, it's it's accountability 101 yeah and the streets they don't you can't be too accountable if you're quote unquote a delinquent yeah because you're like yeah you're right buddy i did it oh, okay cool pat want to fight about yeah, it yeah exactly so yeah. that would be my answer for that one um which i think is fucking it was a great question yeah and um and to and even to just to continue that concept of it, it's like i normally I don't really like to talk about mental stuff, obviously being a psych major and, and, and just being involved in all these things. But I think it's super important to, to see that value of strength and to see that the losses of where you came from and all that fuel, I mean, some of the best champions in the world, I always like to relate it to the fight game, but typically have really shitty upbringings, but not everybody that has to be great has to do that. You know, I mean, look at the strength world. Most of the people setting records come from like, Really great lives. Mm-hmm. You know, mom and pops are cool. Everyone's cool. Everyone's alive. You know, you fucking had a computer when it first came out and you had a car at 16 and you had a beeper when it came out. You'd have to steal one. Not that I say well, I would steal it, but you have these things. But look, they're still making great champions, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say on the opposite foot and I, to argue against myself. Does that mean really mean or to argue against the question? That you have to have had these hardships to be great, to be the best? Well, no. Proof is in the pudding, <laughs> It's, it's that process of training. So the, the aspect still works for people who are not experiencing hardships, that the hardship is the training. So when you take it with that perspective, your hardships, your, your comeback, you're dealing with being fucked over and death and all that is in the training. It's in the, in the process of training and getting better. That's Man, I'm looking at some of the people that are setting records right now. I'm the fucking normal people, man. Yeah. You know, they didn't grow yeah. up in the streets. I'm like, yo, this is a great, nice person. Yeah. And they're exuding greatness because their effort, their hardships, their loss and everything is in the training. It's in the sport that they've given everything to, yeah. to piggyback on the concept of what it takes to be the best. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and guarantee you, I guarantee you, it's more losses than anything. Sure. It's more in jails. It's more mental breakdown. It's more deaths than anything, quote unquote. I'm trying to relate it and obviously not in the same perspective, in the same aspect, but definitely a perspective on it. Sure. So to, to counter on that, it's like, yeah, it does help. But in general, the sacrifice and the effort of sport, it's for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's for everyone trying to be great. I think it's funny because, you know, <clears throat> there's very few people that know my past like you do. Yeah. And I have a lot of people that I've, I've lifted with that are, you know, strong and stuff. And they go, man, I just go to that dark place. And I'm like, fuck, how do you get there? Yeah. You know, because yeah. I don't, I'm not a rage lifter. I lift more like, fuck you, be better. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So every time I touch the weight, I'm like, this is my opportunity to be better than I was the last time I touched this weight. I never have like that kill switch of like, I want to kill you. Yes. And my biggest, like to, to continue on that one too, is like that, I mean, we can do a whole episode on what that dark place is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I won't get too far into it, but even people that have a good mood have that dark place. And just to add on that, that really is what breathes from the sport. That's really why I think that the hardship of the sport and where that comes from, and that breeds greatness. And it's like you have to see the sport as that everything. That's why I typically say when you're in the sport, you're in a fucking relationship, man. You're in a fucking, you're in a relationship. That's, you are now together, you know, and uh, it's like, <laughs> you know, when I had a good, I would have good strongman moments, I put hooked on a feeling. And I'm like, I'm high on believing. I'm like, that you're in love with me. Oh my I'm like, strong man, you still love me, right? Like, we're still, we're still good, right? Like, <laughs> when you hold me in your arms so tight and everything's gonna be all uh. right, like, and it, 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 it represents that to me. I'm in a relationship now. Like, these bad things are coming, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the dark place. Like, I've been through them already. You know, it's, it's, it's a real big, it gets into, a, <laughs> I don't want to get like too fucking crazy about it, but I mean, it certainly is a big it, thing. It's not, it's not a crazy thing to, to connect to that? Yeah, you know what? Uh, to, to be honest with you, Johnny, sometimes it's all I got. Yeah. Sometimes, like, if you're asking me if we're going back into the, the mental badness or whatever, sometimes that conversation with my sport is all I got. It's 10. I remember, I, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you something personal. I remember being 11 o'clock training for 2015 Platinum Plus. I, I mean, I can remember this day like it was yesterday. And it was a bad training session. It sucked. I had really bad bicep tendonitis in my right. And now it started showing up on my left. It was my axle cleaning press, which I really, I really suck at. I still suck at it. I'm okay with that, but it sucks. <laughs> and I was supposed to clean two, like 250 something. And I remember I'd had a 300 before and I couldn't get it. And I dropped it and I dropped it and I dropped it. It was like seven times. A coach would have told me stop. I wish I had a coach. It was by myself. Ugh. It was 1030. I was sleeping three, four hours a night, sometimes two just to make the gym run. And I sat down and I'm like, I'm, I took off everything. I'm like, and I started talking. I'm like, motherfucker. I'm like, really? I'm like, all I've done for you. And like, I'm committed. Like, I don't, I don't fuck it. Like I'm yelling, like I'm talking to a girlfriend. I'm like, and everything we do. And, and I diet and I'm here. And everything I'm like, I've you know, given you everything I've given you. And you're fucking me. I'm like, are you, and I'm, bro, and I'm mad, dude. And I was emotional. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I train hard. I would try hard. Like, I love my sport. What about me? 
And I sat down. I'm fucking taking my sleeves off and I'm fucking pissed. And it starts to rain. And I'm like, (sighs) like I I write about this in my articles. I love to see it as a positive omen. I don't literally think that rain means good luck, but to me, it is all it takes. And at that night, and I swear to God, I'd even put my sleeves back on and I fucking got it. Wow. I, no cameras before Instagram by myself, disappointed. And it starts to rain and I get it. And I remember that all I had that night was the conversation with the sport. And I'm like, this, this is all I have right now. There's no one here. I'm by myself. No one really fucking knows what I'm not a big deal. No one knows what's going on right now. You can say in the dark, you're putting in work and, yeah. And I'll, and I'll, I'll piggyback it to when I had nothing but my bird dogs. I had nothing, nothing, nothing. And I was in a fucking terrible place. And all I had was conversations with my sport. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm coming for you. I'm like, you don't know who I am. Like, you might have fucked me, but I'm going to fuck you. And you, <laughs> wow. you should have seen it. Because it was dark times too. Where I'm like, I'm quitting. Yeah. I can't believe. Really? Yeah. Like, there's people that are doing worse to me. How come they're not fucked up? I remember having these conversations with myself, like talking to the sport, you know? Wow. And I'm telling you, and um, to finish that one off, and then we can move on to other questions, because I thought we just, I just need to say that story. But, man, sometimes that's all you got, man. That's all you got. Yeah. You know, and no one there, no one can pat you on the back. Yeah. And what they say to you is like a, a brush of wind. It's gone. Yeah, sure. It's what you have in that moment. When you're going up to the bar, you know, come on, motherfucker. It's you and me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't be a pussy, man. I got this. Or like, I've been through this. I can do it. That's you talking to the sport. You can say you're talking to yourself, but you're talking to the sport, man. <laughs> so I'm cool. like, that's that. That right there alone has gotten me through so much bullshit in my life. I mean, how many times are you going through a hard day? And let me reiterate this. That there's a difference between having this and using this. There's a difference with this being a tool and a therapeutic thing and then being a necessity. That's what I always say. When you start to make sport and training a necessity and a pill when you're bad, you're going to be fucked when you can't, when you're hurt. Yeah. But let me just be real with you. That sometimes that conversation and that therapy session mm-hmm. is all you fucking have. It's, yeah. you know, it's motivating. And that's what you need. And man, I can't tell you that is child of motherfucking home, man. Yeah, you just can't patchwork it. You gotta. Problems are never solved. They're no. just rearranged. No, exactly. Ugh. You know, and it's it's a it's a big it's a big thing with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to, man, because it's what a mood we've set. Uh, right. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. You're crying. Um, no, I'm not crying. It makes my eyes look pretty. <laughs> it's a lamp. <laughs> um. So I just kind of want to, just peel the mood back a little bit. And I just think this is kind of a cool question. Someone asked me this and I was like, well, for me, I, I, I know what I think is one of the most impressive things, but I'll ask you what lift in your opinion is the most impressive feat of strength and pick one overall and then you can go sports specific. So put your bias aside for the first pick and then you can go, well, strong man, it's this, but the lift most impressive feat of strength. Feet of strength. The the clean and jerk. Mm, good. That I think is the ultimate feat of. Mm, no. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm going to go with strength. Aside from the deadlift, which I think is your easy to go, mm-hmm. I always thought that the clean jerk was incredible. Mm. And I hate that I can't front rack because I'm so <laughs> poor at mobility. Yeah. But I remember seeing that and being like, not only is this guy super strong, because you're basically front squatting three, four, five hundred pounds and you're cleaning it, mm. but then you're pressing it. Like to me, anything ground to overhead are the ultimate feats of strength. I'm personal. That's what I look and I suck at those. They're not yeah. my best events. Circus Dumbo, log press. This is to make it more sport specific. Um, well, it's a axle cleaning press, which I fucking hate. Yeah. Keg overhead. Anything that you're grabbing something from the ground. Yeah, thanks for the keg overhead, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Nice <laughs> Punching the dick. What it is. I love it. Got it. Any weight. It's the worst. So before you go to the next one, I would say that the most impressive feat of strength for me, kind of the same family, would be the overhead squat. That's Mother so fuck. hard. Everything has to be, you have to be one with the lift. Right. <laughs> there is no... You, yeah. Everything has to work. Yeah, I mean it. It really. I remember like like the side bend. You know, back in the old time strongman. It's like, it's you put your your position of your body is is crazy. The overhead like an overhead squat. Like you're, that looks fucking bananas to me. But you got to be right, or else you're fucked. Yeah, I almost concussed myself the first time. <laughs> no, you, yeah, bar right on the head. Bing. No, and it, it like to me, if like obviously the the clean and jerk is just a classic movement, but then. Mm. It does transcend into this, obviously, my bias sport. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're going to say feet of, like, the reason why I want to put strength is obviously because you're not asking me ultimate strength, like just literally max strength. Yeah. Because um, then I would just say the deadlift. Sure. Right? Like strength involves, I think, some dyna- like some dynamic effort, you know, athleticism. Like I hate the guys that can deadlift really heavy and you put them on a yoke and they're embarrassed. I'm like, okay, well, you're, t- you're, you're statically strong. Yeah, you notice how they divide it. Mm-hmm. Like you're statically strong, but you can't move shit. So if you say somebody that can move a yoke, throw something, clean and press it, deadlift it, and overhead press it, you're like you're fucking strong. Yeah, you're not. Oh, you're statically strong, or you're dynamic strength. You're fast. Like you're just fucking strong, dude. Mm-hmm. And that's why I landed myself to strongman. And sure. even though the cuts sort of feel like the cleaning press is a little bit of everything. And I just think it's badass in the barbell. Oh, man. Like the circus dumbbell. I fucking love the circus dumbbell and I suck at it. It's the way it looks. Yeah, it's just so cool. It's so classic. Yeah. That's why I love the Bardos one because it looks so fucking cool. Like the 1920 Strongman. Yeah, like you're in the circus. Like the, it's a Louis Sears uh, dumbbell replica, basically. Yeah. That's just loadable, you know. But yeah. still, that's one of my... One day, maybe like the two seventy three. I mean, ooh, wow, that'd be mm. dope as fuck. That was the Louis here. Maybe your body weight will be two seventy three. Also, nah, that's the only way. <laughs> Can you me? I'm like, I think we're working on I'm it. I'm like body weight circus dumbbell for reps. <laughs> Boom. Just two. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Why would you try it so hard? Oh, it's not in me. Did we get anybody saying anything on the live? You know what? I forgot to even ask him to ask questions. That's probably why. Oh, the other thing is people just like looking at you. I think it's just, uh, they're just looking if I'm going to pick my nose or anything. (laughs) So, and, and, you know, we had a lot of questions last time, um, and we didn't, we almost got to all of them. Um, one of the, I think one that I really wanted to, to touch base on before we stopped. And I think you had a list of really good ones for yourself Mm -hmm. that I thought were really, really good. But one of them that I don't think we we should have to put a little bit more on is like what makes a really good coach. 
Because I remember that was not one that we really touched on. And I remember it got DM'd to me, right? No, we, we hit that one, but it was kind of like you went into how to pick a coach. There was how to pick a good coach or something mm-hmm, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't break down the dynamic of what makes that coach great. So. Yeah, and, and, and look, man, I'm being honest with you. There was a recent controversy about we something. Um, I remember reading about yeah, that. Yeah, and um, everyone who reads it can read it. I'm not even going to get into it, but... I think it's very special when an athlete comes up to a coach and says, we did it. That's all I'm going to say. If an athlete comes up to you and says that, I think you're a fucking great coach. Wow. That's, that's all I'm really going to say when like what it takes to be a great coach is when an individual sport athlete can look at you and include you. Sure. Because you're that fucking amazing. That you're no, you're you've transcended. You've made an individual sport into a team, and I understand the whole other perspective of one person. I'm not even gonna get into that. I'm using this as an example to prove what it makes to what it makes a great coach mm-hmm. is when you can look at that person and feel included and feel a part of their lives that they actually give a fuck. Yeah, that you can say we did it or we didn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. typically the coaches will say, I'm sorry, we failed. Yeah. That's a good coach too. Let's let's flip that in reverse. No, if you have a great athlete, don't look up to you and be like, We did it. Because mm-hmm. you're a great coach. When you have when you're a good coach, you also look at your athlete and say, I'm sorry, we didn't do it. So <laughs> I wish I don't I'm I'm using this as an example and I as something I know people would do. I'm fucking for sure Trevor would say something like that too, if, you know, because no. you know who we're talking about. But you know he would say that. Yeah. Because 100%. if fucking say what you want, great fucking coach. He, I've heard him say it. So it's, you know, yeah. a great coach will look up to you when you fail and say, I'm sorry, we didn't do it. And you know what an athlete would say then? No, it was me. Mm. That's when you know you have a great team right there. When your athlete comes up to you and says, we did it, and you know, and then the coach goes up to you when you fail and go, we lost it. Mm. I'm like, what? Yeah. Not only is there a great coach in front of you, it's a great athlete. but a great athlete. And I wanted to just finish off because I really wanted to touch base on that, not last one, the one before that, because that was meaningful to me. I kept thinking about that question. Yeah. And this, you know, that, that, that made me think, <clears throat> yeah, dog. There's so much we in that little concept. You know, I get it. Sure. But it, it, it depends who it comes from too, and it has such value. I find so, yeah. it strange as a as a spectator that anyone would be offended by the term "we" or "I." Yeah, you know what? Fuck you. What's the matter? I don't mean. I'm not even gonna go further into this because I know everybody everywhere. I'm like Switzerland with an army triggers, but I most certainly that made me think deeply about you know, and it's most there is a lot of "we" on that. But who is saying what and you know whatever? Yeah. Um, but I wanted to put my two cents. That. I said I, I said I wouldn't, but it's because I wanted to answer what makes a great coach, mm-hmm. and then what makes a great athlete. Now I would have, I wanted to say something like that because it's like I said, when you know you're successful, when you start saying we, mm-hmm. well, Mike, because now it's a fucking team. Yeah. But you, you know you gotta initiate that, right? You know, so that's what I really wanted to. to touch it's community. Something. It's legacy. Yes. It's we. Exactly. Well, shit, we're gonna three oh seven. Look at that, we've like just two hours, like nothing, nothing. 
And that's why I was like, look down. I'm like, holy shit. It's too easy. All right, well, um, and, you know, to wrap it up again, I, I want to I wanna thank you, Johnny. I thought we had a, I always love these, these, these podcasts. I really look forward to them. I want to thank um, everyone who ch- uh, chimes into the live. We didn't get any live questions, obviously, because I didn't ask for anything. But I do see the support. I see the mm-hmm. waves. I see people even longing on to look at my mug, and that's that's always super flattering with all these uh, scars and shit. But I'll tell you what, um, one of my to touch base on what we were talking about the entire day, what we what really means um, when I was talking about the best and all that stuff, and the major quote about what life is good if you don't weaken, and the strength in that last part, don't weaken, and the value and the effort and the love. That is that line. And it's typically found deep, deep, deep within that furnace. The aspect of getting your hands dirty and digging through the coal and the dirt and all that muck. That action alone is proving that you don't want to weaken. Hmm. And that effort and that practice and that sacrifice of what it takes to literally move one lump of coal at a time. Because each one of those lumps are primarily your failures, your downfall, your missed sessions, your missed meals, and you're moving and you're digging and you're getting dirtier and you're getting more tired and you're getting hotter and you're pushing and you're going forward because that's because you're so close. You're so close to the the top despite you feeling like you're digging to the bottom. And that climb up, my friends, is typically a dig down. There is a downtown top, but it's not there. It's deep below, below the earth. It is down and dirty and painful. And it's step by step. And you're digging and you're hurt and you're in pain. And you're like, there's no fucking way there's a top. I'm going down. I'm more tired. I have no friends. I have no time. I have no fucking life. I don't drink. I don't do shit. That's because you're right there. And that is don't weaken. That is the, the concept. That is to keep digging. Yeah, forward sometimes is down. Patience sometimes means speed. And that's what makes practice permanent. So, this is MDLP. Battle Axe Gym Podcast. Signing out because fuck. We feel good. Mm.